Leading Britain's conversation. You're listening to a podcast of The Steve Allen Show from LBC. Morning, everybody. It's Thursday, the 27th of July, so it rumbles on, doesn't it? The Charlie Guard situation. They're now uh, looking for people to help in the hospice because I don't think hospices are, are geared up for looking after little children like that. They, they can do a certain amount, but his is so specialist that this is going to be taking over. And, and I don't know how much room they have in hospices. Do they have separate rooms? Uh, my mother was in a little ward of just four people, so sort of a big room with four, four beds in it. And so I don't know what will happen for Charlie Guard. Uh, if they can't find anybody, they will uh, turn off the life support this afternoon. It's, you know, you just wish, really, for the sake of this little boy, they'd stop arguing. She's argued in court. People have shouted. People have cried. People have done everything. And uh, all it is is making sure that Charlie Guard's exit from this world is as easy as possible for him and for the parents. It's truly a difficult day. Giant spider terrifies family at home. It's the size of a dinner plate. Now they've all gone mad for mice. People talk about mice this morning. Mice, mice, mice everywhere. Because I'm working on the assumption that outside, and I've seen rats outside because it's Leicester Square and because there's loads of food left about all over the place. But mice are little tiny things. But they seem to provoke more hysteria in people than anything else. Even me. Even me. I was talking to one of our other presenters here and she said, what happens if, if a mouse jumps up at you? On the... I thought, well, how's it going to get to that stage? Since when are mice going to be able to open these doors? I have enough trouble opening this door myself. Who's that? What? Yeah, she's a troublemaker, isn't she, Nicola? I discovered that ages ago. Luckily, I recorded the conversation so we can always play it back to her. And now she's saying they could drop out of the ceiling. Drop... I've never heard of mice dropping out. From where? You know, I'm, I, I did explain that in one of our studios some years ago, we had a problem where we were sitting there and a fly appeared in the studio. And within a short space of time, we must have had between 50 and 100 flies in the studio who'd come out of the air conditioning unit because there was a dead pigeon up in there and it had turned to maggots. And then, because it'd been up there quite a while, so it wasn't alive anymore, gone to meet its maker. And so we had all these flies in the studio. So, I mean, it was, it was literally, it was like something out of a Hitchcock film. But uh, mice... I'm, I'm, I'm not scared of them. I'm just wary. It's like, was there a dead rat in one of the radio stations? Oh, dear. See, rats are big, aren't they? Rats are, you know, quite big things. By the time you've actually got sort of tails on them, they, they, they go for quite something. It's a sh- shrunk a little bit, as you do. Oh, dear. I don't like things like that. I don't like things like that. I'm, it's a, I don't know why. I'm sure they're all very lovely and, and people keep mice. My cousin used to keep mice, but they were sort of like pet mice which are somewhat different from other... And he used to let them walk over his... Oof, better think about it. I don't like it. It's all that, isn't it, really? It's like we had a fox in Twickenham High Street about a couple of years ago with mange sitting outside one of the shops in daytime. I said to people, don't go near it. It's got mange. Got to watch these things. 84850, uk. We'll try and get through, uh, through everything on the programme this morning. Uh, John Leslie has quit Celebrity Big Brother days before the start of it. He's the second one. The first one was this uh, Alves, you know, uh, used to fly plane. And, and then he had all this surgery for reasons best known to himself to make himself look like Ken from Ken and Barbie. But apparently he's, he's quit because he needs to go into hospital for more surgery. I don't quite understand it. I don't know where he's getting his money from. Perhaps he was left loads. And John Leslie's quit. Do we know why John Leslie? I can't think of any reason why John Leslie would quit unless they're going to bring up all the stuff from before and um, 
and the uh, the porno film and all the rest of it, which is going to haunt him for the rest of his days. As I predicted on the programme, never, ever wrong. I said, the moment you get stories in the papers about the Beckhams and the fact they're leading separate lives and um, he's sort of, you know, one half of the house, she's in the other half of the house. They're never seen together very rarely. I said, the moment that hits the papers, within three days, there's a picture of them putting on a united front. Blow me down, picture in the paper today. The whole family goes out for an ice cream. That lovely, all of them. As usual, she's not walking with him. He's sort of walking behind her and she's sort of leading the pack. But they go out with the photographer to prove that the Beckhams are, you know... They're a united front. They're a united front. Uh, also, apparently you trust hairdressers more than charities. I would think that would be... Because you do tell hairdressers things, don't you? You do confide in your hairdresser. You go and sit in there and you start having your hair cut and sort of they, they sort of... I'm not wild about having long conversations with sort of people. I don't mind with a hairdresser. But we went into a hamburger place the other day and they were very, they were very nice, but just a bit too gushy. Hello, how are you? Nice to see you again. Yeah, all right. I'm just sitting down. Are there minicab drivers? Are they? Do they always talk? Oh, do they? Oh, dear. I can't bear that in the morning. I don't want to talk to anybody first. Well, I don't mind, but, you know, not all the time. But in, in this particular place, Byron, Richmond, they, um, they sort, of, um, sort of, she was gushy. She was, you know, very sort of, OK, good choice. You know, you order something, they go, good choice. You go, really? Oh, well, there you go. We'll go for that one, shall we? Do you recommend anything? Well, I recommend chips. And I wanted to say, I'm not surprised, judging by the size of you. But I didn't say that. What I said was, now, I tell you what, we'll have onion rings. And so we had onion rings, but then we got the chips as well. Because I think she'd forgotten to cross it off the list. So, And she said, that that's complimentary. So, um, and you're supposed to be grateful for about threepence worth of chips. Practically do snogs at the table. Uh, Cara Delevingne tops the list. She's beaten Kate Moss. She's beaten Kate Moss, so she earned eight million last year. Kate Moss only five. What a hardship! What a hardship! Four in ten Brits believe gay sex is unnatural. Fifty years after it was decriminalised. Fifty years. Fifty years. Why do, why do people worry about it? Generally, the people who worry about things like that are worried because they're into things like that. It's just they always try and pretend they're not, don't they? Oh, couldn't possibly do that. Yes, yes. Oh, look. Uh, Cheryl, what's her surname today? We don't know. Is using... Um, She's she done a thing on the internet supporting Leanne Payne's new haircut. That's how shallow their life is now. Very worrying. Uh, also, what was the other one? Oh, yes, the first truly blue chrysanthemums created after 13 years of trying. But I thought, because they work on capillary action, you just put some blue dye, vegetable dye, in a bucket, stick the chrysanthemums in there, or you can do it with um, uh, quite a number of other flowers that have capillary action. What are those other flowers? Not chrysanthemums. They're, they seem to last for ages in, in, in vases in Chinese restaurants. Pinks, they come in. White. I think they actually call them pinks, but there's a name for them. and I can't remember what it is. They, they are called pinks. I think that is actually one of the... Don't shake your head like that. They're called pinks. I'm telling you. But, but there's another name for them. They, they come from a, a family of plants. <laughs> yeah, 84850. What are they called? They're not chrysanthemums. They're little things and you get a bunch of them. Oh, God, I can see the blooming things in my, in my mind. I just can't remember what they're called nowadays. A bunch of... Oh, God. They last for ages, though, as flowers go. They've been very successful for me this year. I should have actually taken a picture. Uh, they're very, very sick. Don't look at me like that because I'm now thinking I've gone round the bend. They're called. They're called. Oh, God. Somebody will know. Somebody will write in. There's always there's always somebody who knows who can help us out at this time of the morning. Don't want to, don't want to appear too dim. I'm, I'm, I can picture these blooming things. What are they called, for goodness sake? 
I put little pots of them in everywhere. And I think they... Pink and... Oh, it doesn't matter. Whatever. Um, what was the other one? Yes. Oh, Andy Carroll. Injury hit. Apparently pictured partying the night away at an all-night bender in Magaluf. Dreadful place. Uh, belly dancing classes now open to women in prison. And, um, and a dreadful story about a lad who was um, bullied at school so much that he took his own life. Two people were, were questioned, but uh, were not charged. And you think to yourself, like that girl the other day who committed suicide because she was being bullied at school. They called her pole and pole go home and all this kind of nonsense. Carnations, thank you. Carnations. Anybody write in with carnations? Thank you, Charlotte. Well done, you in Sidcup. Carnations. I can't remember what the I mean, story was. Oh, that's right, you get white carnations. And if you stick them in a, in a bucket, if you cut the uh, the bottom off, and you stick them in a bucket full of a little bit of vegetable dye, the capillary action draws up the thing and the white carnation will be tinged with blue. Did you know that? Well, you do now, don't you? You see, we like to be educational on this programme. They're called carnations. Like, as in the milk. Carnation milk. Some, somebody else was saying coronations. <laughs> You're all mad this morning. But just remember, we, we don't take... We, uh, let me just explain the situation here now. Uh, we take texts and emails. OK, this is not a phone-in programme. I don't want anybody holding my programme up, thank you very much indeed. So we don't, we don't do phone calls, OK? This, this is not Samaritans in the early hours of the morning for people to sort of phone up and have a little chat. You know, I'm not interested. Send a text and an email, and if I think, if I think it's worthy of inclusion and keeps the programme ticking along, well, I'll, I'll put it in, because that's, that's, what, that's what it's about. But uh, apart from that, it's me, you and the world against me, you and the world and all the papers. Was that funny? Was that funny? Did we like that? That was good. Risky, but good. And, um, you know, <laughs> we have to take a decision on that. Do we leave that in the podcast? Take it out the podcast. Leave it in the podcast? Take it out the podcast. It's always big decisions to make at the end of this, uh, this week. Because this week, no interviews. We're in conversation. We're, we're running a bit scared at the moment because tomorrow it's D-Day. It's up to the wire. And we've, we've only got one in the can, as they say. Well, I've got two, but I can't use the second one. So, because the film's not released yet, and that's Jamie Bell. So we've got Victoria Pendleton, which is fab. She's, she's great. But I need another interview. And two of them the other day fell out, and one got canned. So something's got to occur today for tomorrow. Because otherwise we start going, ooh, scary. And I do get quite scared about it. I really do. Bizarre though it might be, I get very scared about things like that. Uh, there's a new celebrity on the market, says Peter. Uh, Kate Moss's sister, Lottie. She's already made headlines with Brooklyn Beckham. Oh, God, everybody's made headlines with Brooklyn Beckham. He's, he's out with somebody else, I'm afraid. Although whether it's an actual relationship or it's Brooklyn just wanting to hold hands with somebody apart from his father, we don't know. Uh, do you know that the UK has 100,000 drivers over the age of 90? I thought that was a hell of a lot of people. 100,000 drivers over the age of 90, and one is 103. Isn't that just, I mean, I find that absolutely unbelievable. I mean, should we have the case where people have to take another test? You know, and at what age? Because some people mature quicker, don't they? There was, was it Primark was accused of selling padded bras the other day to seven-year-olds? And I thought, but people grow up nowadays a little bit quicker. You know, when I was seven, we didn't know what anything was in our body at all. And he's, he's going gay. Oh, grey, sorry, I do beg your pardon. But he's... But he's yeah, what, going grey? 
You, he laughed. Yes, it was so funny. We had such a laugh in there. Well, I didn't. He did. And, um, you know, but he, he is, he's, he's going grey. He's not even 30. 30. And you're going grey. Of course, the worrying thing is when you get grey hair on your chest and elsewhere, that's when you know things have gone particularly wrong for you. And you know, it's not stress. There's no stress in this industry. You come in, you have a cup of coffee, somebody gives you a sandwich or a roll or some sweeties, and this is stressful. God, you want to go out there in the hard world. You know, you want to live in Ealing or something. That's, that's stressful. That's very stressful. You want to come live in, in Twickenham. That's fairly stressful at times. But you don't have stress. You have the easiest job going. You know, you have your sickness, and then you go off on holidays, and you go and sit in a field in Cambridge in a tent where you don't want to be. You know, and, and all these sort of... That you've got one of the best lives there is going. If only you had money and looks, you'd be all right. But unfortunately, you know, not going to happen, is it, really? But you have a, I think you have a great life. I often go home and, and mention your life to other people, and when we stop laughing, we, um, we sort of have a little bit of sympathy. Because you do all sorts of... You go to concerts... You've been camping, you've been out to very gay Brighton, you've had drinks down there, you've done loads of things. And you go, a stressful life. Every time I look up, you're smiling. Every time I look up, you're smiling. How can that be stressful life? That is really happy. I bet, you know, when you take... Yesterday, oh, I didn't tell you this one, Chris. Yesterday, I'm sitting here at the beginning of the programme, I sort of look up casually, he's taking a photograph of me. A photo- I said, what's that for? And he didn't have a reason as to why he was taking a photograph. For when I die, <laughs> why do you want a picture? Why don't you just take a picture of me when I've died? Then that would be even more apropos. Who's taking a picture of me? You know why? You know why? Because what he does, he shows to his friends, because they all... Look, again. <laughs> he always says... Because uh, what, what he does, when, when he goes out to a bar, and does milkshakes, and people say, so what do you do for a living? And he says, oh, I'm uh, Steve Allen's producer... Uh, which he's not, of course, but he, he, but he says that, and then they go, no, you're not. And he goes, yes, I am. Don't point at the clock and wave your hands around like that. That's like doing one of those programmes. So today, we're going to be looking at all your pictures on the show. Anyway, so he then... I can't remember what he was going to... That's right, what I was talking about. Oh, it's a short break this time. Thank God for that. One minute thirty. <laughs> that'll, that'll cut down your, your gabbing, won't it? But... Um, yeah, and so, so people say, you don't work with Steve Allen. He goes, yes, I do. And they go, you don't. And he goes, look, I took a picture of him the other day in the studio, and he shows it to them. Stalker. <laughs> you see, we're still happy, aren't we? We're not stressed at all much. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Nice to be company. 4.20. It's Thursday morning in London town. Uh, so uh, lots of stories, including... This is after an interview that Earl Spencer gave the other day when uh, he went to the palace and they were talking about Diana's funeral because Diana's funeral, if you remember, was in fact the funeral that would have been for the Queen Mother. But the Queen Mother was still alive and they didn't have anything prepared quickly. Well, that reminds me, what is the one outfit that the royals take on holiday? The one thing that the royals take on holiday every single holiday they, they go on? And the answer is a black outfit, black suit, Black dress, black short, black everything, in case a member of the royal family dies. That's why, you know, if ever you see somebody dying, they've, they've always got the outfit with them. There is always a black outfit. But uh, anyway, Earl Spencer, who used to work for LBC some years ago when we were in Hammersmith. And charming he was, absolutely charming. And, um, and he said that he went to the palace and they were discussing the funeral and, um, and they wanted them to walk behind the coffin. And he said, well, I don't really want to do that. 
I don't think that's a very nice thing. There's people lining the streets either side, calling out Diana's name and, be, you know, as Harry said, people who didn't even know her calling out her, her name. And um, and he said, yes, he said. And I said, well, really, I don't think we want to do that. And he said, well, uh, the boys want to walk behind the coffin, which, of course, was a blatant lie. The boys didn't want to walk behind the coffin and didn't enjoy walking behind the coffin, as indeed none of us would. None of us would. Why would you want to walk down behind the coffin of your mother when you're 12 years old and 15 years old and there's people crying and screaming and shouting her name and all the rest of it and you've got to walk down and be fairly so I mean that was just absolutely the worst thing I'd love to uh, for Earl Spencer to have come up with exactly who told them to do that that'd be the you know it's no good saying I'm sure it is because it's obviously got all the newspapers interested that you know uh, the boys want want to do it the boys had no such say in it whatsoever they didn't want to do it they really didn't want to do it and it still haunts them to this day as indeed it would do so who was the person who told him he said it was a courtier. So who? Because obviously then they go back and go, that's oh, all right, we've managed to get uh, Spencer. He'll, he'll be walking behind the coffin. So Charles as well. I mean, it seemed a bit hypocritical, really, as Charles was having the affair with Camilla. But nevertheless, they all sort of did it. Uh, the, the, uh, the, um, the rest of the royal family were grouped round the gate of Buckingham Palace. Uh, the Queen bowed her head as the coffin and the cortege went past. Nobody else appeared to do that. Nobody else appeared to do it. They were sort of, they couldn't really care less. And in fact, one courtier has got a book out today. I'll tell you about it a bit later on. He said that the royal family treated her very badly. But then I think that was patently obvious. She had, I think she thought she was going into a family that was loving and caring. But they're not like that. That's, that's the difference. They are, you know, completely separate. They, they do things differently. You know, Charles still has to bow to his mother. You know, very rarely does he call her mummy. It's only on a couple of occasions and she's let him get away with it. But normally she wouldn't be going for that at all. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love the royal family. Not all of them. Not all of them. But I love the Queen. I love Philip. And um, I could sort of warm a bit to William and Harry. I don't think they sort of work enough. But they're, you know, they're going to spend their life, I suppose, serving the country and doing whatever. Uh, and Charles will become king one day. But will he? Will he, will he outlive his, uh, his mother or not? Because she shows no sign of slowing down whatsoever. It's very interesting. But uh, there's all sorts of anomalies that came up. And a lot of people have now started sticking the knife into Earl Spencer by basically saying, you know, why is he doing this now? And the answer is because he's telling the truth. I didn't know that four times people have tried to break into Diana's grave. What sick people are they? Tried to break in. Four t- oh, dear God in heaven. I think you'd have those people arrested and sectioned immediately. I think they'd be off to Broadmoor so fast. That's not normal, is it? Of course it's not normal. But um, it's, it's, it's as, as peculiar to me as the whole day was 20 years ago, plus years ago. It was a, just an odd day. The crowd started gathering. The flowers were all out there on the lawn. All in plastic, if you ask. You know, and they, were, they just rotted away. 30 million quids worth of flowers. It's the most flowers that you know, florists had ever had to send. People were sending flowers and they were sort of laying them down. And it looked amazing. You know, quite clearly, people liked Diana... And so, you know, even 20 years, I mean, she'd be thrilled. She'd be so thrilled to think that 20 years after she died, they were still talking about her and still doing programmes, and still she commands that interest. Seven million people tuned in to watch the boys talking about Diana. Not to watch the boys, they wanted to hear about Diana, you know, what had happened. Apparently, Earl Spencer said that the speech that he did inside uh, Westminster Abbey, he read to her twice after she died. So I'm assuming he went to see her. I was I was curious to know whether or not the um, the boys went to see her. 
in the funeral home. I'm not sure whether or not that actually uh, happened because, you know, at 12 years old, that's not the sort of thing you expect to subject 12-year-old boys to see or even 15-year-old boys to see. I saw both my parents after they died, not because I wanted to, Believe you me, it was you know, it wouldn't wouldn't exactly have been top of my list to go and see something like that. But I just thought it's sort of it's part of life. They were there for me during you know my formative years, so the least I can do is be with them, you know, in their moments, their last moment, and the moment after the last moment. And that's why it's interesting with Charlie Gard. Now they're saying they're going to uh, put him into a hospice. Which hospice is going to want to take him? I don't know, because they're going to have to think very carefully. Whichever hospice it is, the hospice themselves, having seen that Great Ormond Street Hospital got trolled by people wishing them dead, the doctors and the nurses, any hospice that takes this on is going to be subjective. Because once they've announced, and the press will announce, oh, he's, he's going to be here, this is where he's going to die, they're going to be targeted by everybody. Because there are some sick people out there. They don't realise that hospices are nice places. You know, you don't go into a hospice necessarily to die. They're there to give families a rest and all sorts of things. You know, there's lots of reasons that people go to hospices. Unfortunately, some people do end their lives there and they do the best that they can. But with such a high profile case, they're going to have to think very carefully about whether or not they actually want little Charlie Gard there. The family have started asking for people to give them help at the hospice because they're obviously not, whichever hospice it is, is not going to be equipped for dealing with a boy who is so seriously ill. So they're going to have strange people coming in. Who's going to vet them? Who's going to vet? So somebody goes forward and goes, actually, I, I, can, I can do that. I can look after him. And then somebody will make that decision to turn off the life support machine. And that's when they disconnect him from it. And he just becomes, you know, another little child who is finishing his life. Because he can't survive without this uh, machine. And that's why it's, it's such a dreadful decision. Because they've got to make that decision by 12 o'clock today. Which, where, where, where's he going to go to? And I would think any hospice, as I say, I bet now we've mentioned it, hospices will be going, oh, never thought about that bit. If you thought that, you know, people were just going to troll Great Ormond Street and the nurses and the doctors abused on the streets and people going in and out of the hospital, a hospice, which literally is just staffed by a handful of people, is going to be getting it. You help that little boy die. And, oh, you can just, I can see it now because there's so many stupid people out there, you know, people who are sick. People who are sick in the head, they don't know anything about it. You know, they know nothing about these illnesses. They just jump onto a bandwagon. They think they're little campaigners. They think they're doing something interesting. They're not. They're just a bloody hindrance. Just a blooming hindrance. You know, the moment the Charlie Guard's parents started storming out of court and crying and all the rest of it, you knew that, you know, this was not going to go well. And it's still going. You just wish that they'd kind of go, listen, let's let him die peacefully, shall we? You know, to say that, you know, everybody loved him while he was alive and they're going to love him even more now. He'll go to meet the angels. They'll give him his wings and he'll he'll live again, if that's what you choose to believe. But, I mean, let's stop with these court cases and stop with this arguing and stop with this barrage of insults backwards and forwards. It's just not helpful to anybody at all. They'll be doing that about me, I should imagine, when I go. Do you want him? No, we don't want him. No, heavens above, I heard his programme. Dreadful, dreadful. <laughs> um... Uh, I work nights, says Chris in Acton. I wonder if you think it's best to sleep at 9am or 3pm. I can't figure it out. Best to sleep at 9am or 3 Well, yeah, 9, definitely 9. What's the point of dragging yourself? I mean, when I used to work nights, because I think I work days now, because this is, I mean, most people are getting up to do the, all the deliveries and get the buses ready and the trains ready. So this, this is sort of daytime. And it's, uh, it's a case of I used to finish at 5 in the morning. I get home. Sometimes I'd have a piece of toast and then I'd go to bed. 
uh, and I was out fast. I, I, I go out fast, believe you me. And, um, and then I would wake up at about, so I'd be in bed at sort of about six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. About 12 o'clock I would get up and uh, then I would sort of get some air and then I'd come back home in the afternoon, have something to eat and then fall asleep again and have about two or three hours sleep then. And then come into work. And that way I, I, I sort of, I worked it out quite well. It doesn't work that way for everybody. You know, sometimes the producer sits here, he's very, very tired because he's not had the right, right amount of sleep. You've got to get the right amount of sleep. And once you've geared up that if you work nights, your life is different. You can't work nights and then have a normal life. It just doesn't work like that. It's actually quite, uh, quite difficult. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Honey G's come out as a lesbian. I thought that'd change your, uh, your morning. As if anybody really cares. Apparently she'd thought about it long and hard and, uh, and decided that she wanted to, uh, to tell her fan that she was lesbian. I mean, who cares? It's 2017, dear. Get over yourself. Nobody gives a stuff. She's an old woman. So she's come out as lesbian. I mean, I couldn't care if she came out as trans. Doesn't bother me. Why would you think you have to sort of brace... Is that the best you can do for publicity? Is that the best idea that you've, you and your agent have come up with to try and keep this tawdry career going? It's finished. It is finished. OK, get over yourself. Get over yourself. I've got a picture of her in one of the papers, bearing her breasts with her hands covered. Please stop it. Stop it now. It's making you look a little bit sad and desperate. Kevin says, have you heard? It's, it's, it's quite sweet calling it a career, says the producer. It is true, though, isn't it? They go, uh, I want to tell my fan, you know, for my career and this. And, this, and the girl who came out of Love Island, you know, I've decided what I want to do with my career now that I've got this celebrity status. I'm so sorry, dear, you don't have a celebrity status. You're just known as that bimbo who bonked on television. That's it. That's your claim to fame. Unless you're going to go and work in a brothel and you see that as a career move, I've got no idea what possible interest the public would have in you. One of them said she wanted to be like um, Ross Kemp. Uh, what, a bloke? I didn't quite get that one at all. And uh, she said, no, she wants to sort of, you know, make documentaries and travel the world. Dream on, sugar pea. Dream on. Not going to happen. OK. Uh, Kevin reckons that there's uh, Argentinian ants. Yes, there are. I don't think they're actually in investing. Uh, sorry, in invading. They are slightly bigger. Uh, they've been found in London and Birmingham. Well, they've obviously learned how to use the travel cards so they can get up and down. And uh, if you see them, you should call in pest controllers straight away uh, because they kill other ants. They're known to infest homes and cause short circuits because they chew on wires. Now, so far, I mean, one of the colonies uh, was spread over 3,700 miles. You know, you get them in the in the jungle as well. Not these particular ones, but the Argentine ant uh, has some indoor populations within London. So they are actually sort of around and you look at them and they're, they're fairly aggressive. Uh, they, they can have quite a far reaching ecosystem impacting above and below the ground. So before we had Asian super ants and then, of course, we've had the flying ants. Oh, I don't like those at all. I know you look around. Uh, I don't know what I'm looking for. <gasps> what was that program I saw? It was it was set in like space and these were giant ants that came towards them with sort of giant mandibles and everything else. And I thought that would be your worst nightmare, wouldn't it? Trying to kill off giant ants. I don't like that idea, actually. I don't mind them being small, but they can give you a nasty nip. Like, you know, you, you can have a little bite on you. You've got to be very careful. Some people just flick them off. I, was, I lifted up a fountain the other day, and there were some ants underneath that, and I found one on my arm. And so I just I send them off. I always go, you're going to Alton Towers. <laughs> oh, look, you've stopped. And because uh, we like to be controversial. Steve, you're so right, says Richard, about confiding in your hairdresser. I do it all the time. 
I wondered, when you visit the hairdresser, is it is it a long conversation? Very bitter, Richard. We don't need that kind of talk at this time of the morning. Of course it's a long conversation. Why? Because my hairdresser loves me. You know, she loves me, you know, 100%, unrequited, you know. And, uh, yes, we have long conversations. About 20-minute conversations, to be honest with you. Uh, somebody says, Sai, um... He says, I don't mind the fact there are over 100,000 drivers over the age of 90. What winds me up is that they all wait until Sunday to come out driving. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? <laughs> it's true. The producer was telling me he's got somebody in his, uh, in his road. He said he must be over 90. He said, but to watch him drive in the car, he said, is quite, uh, quite frightening. And, <laughs> you know, somebody's hands shaking so much. Then they open the door, you think, oh, my God, they're behind the wheel. A bit dangerous. Somebody says, well, Honey G be replacing John Leslie, says Ian. Uh, well, she's she's desperate enough, isn't she? I mean, but it's it's who cares about her? You know, it's all finished. It's all finished. You know, just uh, uh, Peter says we humans are giant ants. Yeah, in your dreams, in your dreams. No, we're not. We're apes, aren't we? We weren't ants at all. We don't have all this kind of stuff, as far as I know. Uh, please say happy birthday, to my dear friend Alan Rose. Says Brigitte. So there you go, Alan. Have a very happy birthday for today. Uh, what have we got? 23 minutes. I had, somebody told me off the other day. They said, can you make sure you do most of your time checks up until the five o'clock hour? Because that's the time we're all getting ready to leave for work. So, oh, I got a different train yesterday. I went on a Guildford train. My God, he put his foot down. We bombed along. We bombed along. I've never had anything like it. I've never got the Guildford train. I've now discovered I've got trains all over the place. I can do... Three minutes past, 20 past, 28... So I now learned this after all these years. 28 minutes past, 32 minutes past, 34 minutes past, quarter two, and then 50, uh, then 50, and then 58. That's just in an hour. So many trains. I've got so many trains. I'm very lucky, actually, very fortunate. Because some people I know, if you're on Southern, you're probably cursing the day that you ever actually move to an area where, where the train service is so, so dreadful. But uh, you might as well just not bother, mightn't you? What do you eat with your fish fingers? Um, nothing. I'm sometimes having with dauphinoise potatoes or sometimes... And yesterday I had uh, salmon. I had salmon, sprouts and um, and a sauce thing, like a watercress sauce. Uh, not uh, not made by me, but made by M&S. Because who can be bothered? It's £1.60 a pack. You just sort of do the um, uh, the Brussels sprouts in a bit of water, steam them. And then drain them off, put in the salmon over the top, put in the sauce over the top. Ten minutes later, finished, lovely, flake it, beautiful. And uh, is delicious, absolutely delicious. Uh, Safi, her mum wants her to be the most famous girl in the world. She's the youngest victim of the Manchester bomb blast laid to rest. I mean, that's a, that's a tough call, isn't it? That seems ages ago now, ages and ages ago, and you feel immensely sorry for the uh, for the family, they have to to go through that uh, that kind of thing, and to to lay a, a child to rest is, I think, the most difficult thing. And they've got lovely pictures of her, but uh, what what she wants is that if you Google most famous girl in the world, she wants it to be Safi Rose. That's what she wants. I mean, that's it's a sweet thing, isn't it, to want to have? And um, and so she's the youngest victim of uh, the Manchester bomber. So they've got lots and lots of nice pictures, and they've got uh, Mum Lisa. And Xander and, uh, and daughter Ashley. So, terrible, really, isn't it? I don't think parents should ever have to go through anything like that. Um, I like Kit Kat. You know they're investing in a factory over here to just make Kit Kats with all different flavours in. Because I've had orange. Um, we've had Christmas pudding flavour. 
We've had toffee. We've had all sorts of different flavours on Kit Kat. But this is the one here which is going to get your taste buds going. It's a very quirky flavour. It's uh, flavoured with red hot wasabi. Now, I've never had wasabi. But uh, Japan loves quirky flavours so much that Nestle is building a factory there to cope with the demand. Purple potato and strawberry cheesecake will be added to the 300 wacky varieties created for the Japanese market already. A spokeswoman for Nestle Japan says we take pride in our unique flavours. So you can now have wasabi. You can't get them here. Although I'm sure if you go to a specialist shop, you probably might be able to. Isn't that interesting? And also uh, Trump in all the papers today. Why? Because he's blocked transgenders from the military. Um, I I don't quite understand why he's done it. He said it's on medical grounds and stuff like that. We're not doing the same thing with our military in this country. But he says that uh, US forces must focus on victory and can't be burdened with the tremendous medical costs and disruption transgender in the military would entail. Um, He also... It also breaks his vow in the presidential battle with Hillary Clinton when he said, thank you, the LGBT community, I'll fight for you as Hillary brings in more people that will threaten your freedoms and beliefs. So quite clearly, it's, uh, it's not true. He doesn't want... Tra- so what are they going to do? Are they going to throw out the transgenders who are already in the American army? And what happens if you're a soldier who then decides you want a trans? You'd be presumably uh, invalided out. They'll come up with some sort of quasi-excuse. A bit odd, really, isn't it? It's a bit odd that they're sort of that he's actually said that. And the more you hear from him, though, the more odd we all think he is. He probably doesn't see it like that. He probably doesn't see it like that. Uh, the new 12-sided pound coin has foiled counterfeiters and it's the world's most secure form of currency. So says a Treasury minister. Good Lord. 33% of the old coins were counterfeit, totalling £50 million worth of fake currency. But because they were in the system, people just carried on handing them out and using them. You know, if I ever had any return by a Coinstar machine, which are in the Metro banks as well, but it's a similar similar kind of machine for changing your money up, then uh, I would just use it to pay for things. Because it's it's not like the fivers or the tenors or the £20 notes or the £50 notes uh, that are being counterfeited. It's it's all the other things, actually. Uh, secrets behind the BBC's live wilderness show. Yes, you've got you've got somebody called Matt, Liz Bonin and uh, and Steve Backshall. I, I do find, actually, uh, Matt Baker is fine. He's just a little bit out of his depth when it comes to the one show. His interviewing techniques are, are terrible. Liz, uh, Liz Bonin, she was around years ago. I think she was on a breakfast show on television, which she was terrible on. And then she sort of popped up again, and they've started using it. Anyway, it's just another one of these, you know, it's a BBC Wild Alaska Live. So you get black bears, you get uh, bald eagles, brown bears. Um, also, they've got uh, an ice cave underneath a glacier, which is lovely, and humpback whales and salmon, plus the natural wonders. But it takes three presenters on the BBC, happily wasting your money. I mean, why not just one presenter? David Attenborough manages one presenter. Why does this uh, Alaska programme have to have three presenters? Aren't they very good? Are they not capable of doing a programme by themselves? I don't think Liz Bonin is, and I'm pretty certain that Matt's not, because he only seems to work in a, as part of a team. But Steve, Steve Backshaw can do that, can't he? I think. Um, new Bake Off presenter Noel Fielding will voice a character in a, a Netflix fantasy. God, honestly. Unattractive and on our televisions. That's how you have to suffer. The Square Eyes column in the, uh, in the Sunday Mirror is just press releases. It's exactly the same as the, uh, the Bizarre column with Dan Wootson and uh, Wooten. They, um, it's, it's just press releases. They just print it all up. There's no, uh, there's no intelligence that goes with it at all. It takes about seven of them. Very lazy in journalism, aren't they? Not as, not as hard-working as they used to be, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, plus, um, 
teacher joined Mile High Club with schoolboy on Swiss trip. There's a headline I never thought I'd be doing. They're also doing, changing the subject, they're going to do an Auschwitz exhibition. It's going to travel the world and it's going to be quite expensive to move around because one of the exhibits, and I think there's about 600 exhibits that they're bringing over from Auschwitz, is one of the uh, train trucks that was used to transport uh, people to Auschwitz. And I wasn't sure if I've seen one of these trucks before. I'm not sure if they've got one in the Imperial War Museum. I know that they've got lots of other things, but I'm not sure if they've got one of these trucks. I think they do have a truck there, but I can't remember if it's if it's a genuine one. But this will be one uh, from Auschwitz and it will tour the world. When, I don't know. But uh, they say it'll be to, to show people just uh, just how evil the uh, the Nazis were. Just how evil. Dreadful. But uh, it will still be an exhibition that will literally provoke all sorts of emotions from people. Um, Polly, Polly Hudson, talking about Love Island, it's time to face reality. Act stupid now and it'll no longer be endearing. And um, it's, it's just a load, of old, a load of old tarts, isn't it? Can you find people who are going to take their clothes off? Easy peasy, really. Uh, Ricky Gervais, Yup of the Week, he says, if everybody understood the burden of proof and the difference between a claim and evidence, the world would be a better... But Twitter would suck. And from poor old Kelly Brook, uh, uh, she says, I'm completely self-taught, but you could have a serious conversation with me about your garden. She's trying to reinvent herself. She thinks that she can take over from uh, from Charlie and uh, do something like that. But to be honest with you, it's it's not going to happen, I don't think so. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, also, uh, the correct colour of brew started a storm in a teacup. What colour tea do you like? And apparently there are, you know, sometimes somebody would make me a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and I'd go, too dark, way too dark, or too light, leave the bag in there a little bit longer. Uh, Turkey drinks the most tea in the world. We come in fourth after Morocco and Ireland. After Ireland, on tea drink, is that funny? I never thought that'd be that. Um, how many cups a day? We sup 165 million cups a day in this country. Tea arrived here in 1657. Yorkshire tea is Britain's most popular brand. Is it really? There's me thinking Earl Grey. Or as some people call it, you know, that sort of uh, little bit too scented tea. A little bit too sort of girly. But I like those teas. I like twinings. I like the boxes. I like the flavour of the tea. I like breakfast tea. I like Earl Grey. I like Lady Grey. I like anything like that. Just a nice, just a nice cup of tea. Like, what was that song? I like a nice cup of tea in the morning. I like a nice cup of tea with my tea. And about this time of night, what goes down a treat, you're right, is a nice cup of tea. Can't remember what the, what the song was called. It's probably called A Nice Cup of Tea, I should imagine. Um, and a woman allergic to peanuts died after eating a peanut-flavoured crisp. Georgina Hickman had checked the packet, but nuts were not listed. She ate just one crisp, saying they were horrible, then had a severe allergic reaction that starved her brain of oxygen... A doctor says that Georgina from Southampton showed all the symptoms of a peanut allergy. So I've forgotten about a friend of mine. Uh, he also uh, was allergic to peanuts and had to start putting it on restaurant menus. If you're allergic to peanut, this item contains peanuts or it's been made in a factory where they had peanut items. I've never known people with such allergies in this day and age. Oh, look at those. Are those crisps? I bet they're crisps. Oh, no, cig cigarettes. <laughs> How wrong can you be, Stephen? How wrong can you be? I still see people smoking. People who you'd think wouldn't smoke. People who you'd think would sort of get to, you know, much later in life and they're still happily puffing away and you think, why, why? 
you think, because it's addictive, it's addictive. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Ten to five. Nice to have you company this morning. Thursday, 27th of July. There's um, a dad in the paper today. His, uh, his son, uh, he claims, was bullied at school. Uh, but his son gets, uh, gets a badge. OK. Strange story. So this is a dad who hits out at this primary school for giving his distraught son an I-lost-my-tooth badge after it was allegedly knocked out by a playground bully. Uh, the father claims that his son who's seven, was punched three times in the face. When he went to collect his son, he was wearing the badge as though his tooth simply fell out. This man said it was a cover-up for the uh, the fact that it was a GBH attack at their school. He's been a victim of bullying campaign, which had gone on for two years. The simply uh, fact is that the school refused to implement sanctions. Uh, the school said the governing body was investigating. So they actually, if, if you apparently lose your teeth at certain schools, they give you a badge that says... My my tooth fell out today. I've never had that before. Have you? No. And we've had teeth falling out over the years, obviously, because that's what happens when you're a kid. And then it goes under your pillow and then you get some money for it, which I think was the best bit. It used to be about threepence or sixpence or something. It's gone up. I believe it's about a fiver now or a tenner if a tooth falls out. It's very expensive for parents. Don't tell them that. Tell them somebody pinched the money. Makes it much easier, doesn't it? Much, much easier. Um. There's a mum here who spent over £200,000 on cancer therapy abroad after being denied a place on an NHS trial. Louise Gliddle, who has incurable cervical cancer, was refused an immunotherapy pilot at University London College Hospital. So she raised £230,000 for life-extending therapy in Germany. Uh, She said, I'm paying an absolute fortune. I should be able to get treatment in the UK. Uh, ULCH said it was not clear if she met the criteria. We offered a further scan. But, uh, you know, if you're you're on borrowed time, you're going to try anything, aren't you? There's a bucket list here of 50 exciting things that your grandparents did. It encourages um, kids, young people, not us, younger people, to have fun uh, like Granny and Grandad did. Uh, and there's some really odd things in here. I mean, I'm not going to tell you who the company is, because what they do, it's, it's companies who commission these things to get the publicity for themselves. But some of the, the things that your gran and granddad did, jumping over waves. Remember that? You'd be at the seaside and a wave, you'd jump over. I don't know why we did it. You know, and then, then, you'd, then you'd hit the bottom of your foot on one of those sharp razor shells. The, the sea would turn blood red. Uh, explore inside a tree. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure about that, exploring inside a tree. Uh, make a grass trumpet. Grass trumpet? What's that? Is that where you get a blade of grass and you blow, and you blow it between your two... Have you done that between your thumbs? And you go... And it goes... Or it whistles or whatever it is. I don't think it was a trumpet. Climb a huge hill. Oh, I thought it was dull. What's to climb a hill? And then sometimes you could roll down, couldn't you? Like Little House on the Prairie. Hold a scary animal. Like what? Like a wildebeest or something. Um... Find, find some frog spawn. We used to find frog spawn. We'd put it in a jam jar and you put some string around the top of it and you take it over and eventually it would turn into little frogs. And that, would, that was quite exciting because you'd have tadpoles and, and then it would turn into frogs. And then you used to put them back in the local pond. Uh, camp out in the wild. Yeah, we, we, well, we didn't actually do the wild. We did the garden. That was about as wild as it got. Skim a stone. You ever skimmed a stone? I used to love skimming stones. That was a fabulous one. That's where you get a round... You try and find a flat round stone and you throw it so it bounces over the water. That was always quite good. Our grandparents did that, did they really? Run around in the rain. Yep, kids do that nowadays, don't they? Catch a fish with a net. Yep, eat an apple straight from a tree. Always. 
Always. Why would you not eat? What, take it home and wash it or something? They had some, um, they're called Disco's, Discovery Apples, in Paul Cooper's shop. He's got loads of different varieties of apples. But the Discovery is the one, it just looks like an apple off a tree. You know, proper apple, not a sort of a made-up apple. And, um, and, and it's sort of half, half red and half green. And it's really crunchy. Look delicious, actually. Make a daisy chain, dam a stream, play in the snow, set up a snail race, uh, play poo sticks. Did you play poo sticks? We did poo sticks as a kid. See, all the stuff, really, that your grandparents did, you did as well. Visit a farm. We used to live near a farm, so we did that. Bring up a butterfly. We used to be very careful. Somebody said to me, if ever you catch a butterfly and you get it on your hand, don't touch the wings, because the wings are covered with this sort of, like, like powder or dust or something. And if you do that, it can't fly. So we were very careful not to touch the wings. Hunt for fossils and bones. Well, you know, I think really, as far as my parents were concerned, the local cemetery was out of bounds to us, so uh, no good point, no point in digging up Grandad again. Uh, hunt for insects. You didn't need to hunt for the blooming things. They kind of found you if you were sitting in a field. I used to hate that. Pick, pick blackberries in the wild. Yep, you'd be driving down a country lane. You go, stop, stop! North Weald, down in Essex, they've got a place where they used to tether all the barrage balloons, and the whole place is full, and it's like acres and acres and acres of blackberry bushes. In the summer, full of blackberry bushes. You can go blackberrying rages. You take them home, and then you can make blackberry pies and stuff like that. Um, the other one's climb a tree. Yeah, it's OK when you're young. You can climb a tree. Just don't go too high. And uh, also, the other thing is, if you're an older person, please do not climb a tree, OK? It's not for you. It's not for people like me and you. We don't do it. Stargazing. You ever been stargazing? That's where you lie on your back in a field. Oh, no, that was something else. Anyway, so you, you go out there, you look through the window and you can see the stars and you go, oh, look, there's, uh, there's Orion's belt, there's Orion's trousers, there's, you know, and you, and you spot all the different star systems, the plough. The plough was the most common one because it apparently looked like the plough, although it was just five stars or something. One, two, yeah, about five, five or six stars. And, uh, and then you go, what else do you see up there? And you go, well, just stars, I don't know. Apparently they're so far away, we're never going to reach the blooming things anyway. Uh, also, explore a cave. I've done that down at the beach. But then I got scared, thinking if the tide comes in quickly, I don't want to get caught in a cave. Thank you. Uh, make a home for a wild animal. No, my auntie Enid was quite happy in the one she was in, so we didn't, uh, we didn't bother in there. Go on a nature walk at night. No, we didn't do that one either. I don't think my parents would have allowed us to. Plant it, grow it, eat it. Yeah, mustard and cress. Mustard and cress on a piece of cotton wool. That was very popular. Or tomatoes. Go swimming in the sea. Yeah, but don't get your mouth full of water because it was all salty and it was horrible. And you're, uh, <laughs> don't like that, Mum. Go bird watching. <whistles> Matt Stadlin will be up listening to that one this morning. He'll be out there bird watching, sitting in his little hide with his, uh, with his binoculars and everything. He loves taking pictures of birds. He really does. Uh, try rock climbing. Yeah, but not, not too, too seriously bad. I've seen people who, who climb... Seriously, I watched somebody the other day skiing a vertical slope on a mountain. Well, practically vertical. And they were skiing and then the snow was catching up with them. And I looked at it and I thought, oh, I felt sick even watching it on the television. Not for me at all. Cooking on a campfire. Yeah, we've all done that. I bought a little thing. It was a, a little um, fire. You put a tablet inside it. It opened up like a tray. And then you put the frying pan on top and then you put some lard in. And then you cook bacon and that was it. Because you only took one packet of bacon with you. Because otherwise you'd be taking the kitchen. Uh, also, learning to ride a horse. Yes, I can ride a horse. Going on a treasure hunt. Hated them. Hated them. We used to do them in cars when we were younger. They give you clues to find where, where the treasure was. Boring, boring, boring. I suppose my favourite out of that is, it was, they said, catching a falling leaf. You know, the leaf would fall out of the tree and you go, got it. I don't know what that was meant to prove, but those were things that your grandparents did 
and we do now. Because kids are bored. Have you seen kids the other day? There's something in the paper today that says you've got to watch your kids for this uh, new sort of craze. It's an app, I think, on the internet. But what it is, it's, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. And because kids are so bored... They're going on to it. I can't imagine how you could be so bored. We had loads of things to do in school holidays. I mean, absolutely. There weren't enough hours in the day. I mean, all this lot. Did you have PlayStation when you... Yeah, see, we didn't have anything like that. I had... Um, I didn't have anything. We'd, I just had some toy cars, which you could play with in the garden. I had some Chipperfield Circus stuff. So I used to pretend to do a circus. And with one of my mum's headscarves, I'd make the circus tent. And then you'd pack it all up and all that. Oh, God, I used to love stuff like that. You could play for hours in the garden. Then your mum would say, you've got to come in. You go, eh? And then one of your friends would turn up and say, they always used to say the same to your mum, can Stephen come out to play? And my mother would say, well, you've got to be back in by four o'clock. OK, OK, where are you going? Oh, I'm going out, just playing games. It's what kids do, isn't it, really? Coming up to the news at five o'clock this Thursday morning, it's Steve Allen's early breakfast. Nice to have you company, hope you're well. Apparently today the rain comes down, but, you know, I'm bored sick with telling you that because I told you yesterday and the day before and not too much happened. Decision day for Charlie Gard and his family as the family now appeal for help in the hospice, which is where Charlie Gard will end his life. And they've got to make a decision by 12 o'clock today. Otherwise, the decision will be taken for them. I don't really understand why they can't just leave him where he is. They're going to have to upheave, you know, with all the paraphernalia that goes with Charlie. And there's quite a lot of it. And, uh, and then move him to a home, whereas, in fact... He must be quite comfy where he is at the moment. He's blind, he's deaf, and um, I would have thought that would have been the best place. But it's up to his parents, and they've decided, with the help of the courts, that he's going to go into a hospice. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Facebook has reported positive financial results for the first three months, uh, for the three months up to the end of June. The social network's revenue has increased by 45% on last year. It went up from $6.4 billion for the same period in 2016 to $9.3 billion. Morning, everybody. I wish I'd invented Facebook. I tell you, it turned over nine billion pounds. Good Lord, and Mark Zuckerberg has still got a, a good share in it. I mean, even, even if it make five billion in a year. What do you do with it? Is he one of the richest people then? Next to... Who was the other one who was very, very rich? Bill Gates. Is he still alive? Right, he's still alive. Who was the one who died? Who was the one who died? Steve Jobs of Apple. He was the one. But, uh, yeah, Bill, Bill Gates. But he does mainly charity work. I suppose if you've got that much... Oh, my God, you could do so much. Imagine if you had an income of even five billion a year. What you could do for charity... You could practically solve world poverty. You'd go through Africa, wouldn't you? Digging wells all over the place. We don't want a well. We've already got three. Well, you're having another one, all right? Now I've got four wells. Big lakes. All sorts of things all over the place. Oh, dear. You could, you could help everybody out, couldn't you? Help everybody out. What a lovely thing. So it was six billion. It's got up to nine billion pounds. Is that one of the most successful companies, I should imagine, in the world? That is phenomenally successful. So good for Mark Zuckerberg. I hate him. Uh, the Ant film is Starship Trooper. It is. First one I watched, loved. You're right, the, the ones that came afterwards were absolutely blooming awful, Jeff. But the first Starship Trooper was good. Do you know, it was one of the first films I bought on Laserdisc. I've still got Laserdiscs at home. I've got a Laserdisc player. I'm living in the dark ages. I do have uh, DVD players and stuff like that. But uh, I've got a Laserdisc player. And uh, Starship Trooper, 1997. Uh, it originally came from a script, I think, called something like... Bug Hunt at Outpost 9. And it's, if you've never seen it, get it. Because it's really, really good. It's an interstellar war between mankind and an insectoid, uh, sorry, an insectoid species known as arachnids. And it was brilliant because these things are so realistic. 
And they're brilliant. They're absolutely brilliant. It's got all sorts of people in it. You know, you'll love it. Neil Patrick Harris is in it. And actually, if you want to see him working really hard, type him in on YouTube and watch his Tony award-winning entrance. Uh, brilliant. Absolutely. Such a clever person. Such a clever person. But, uh, no, if you've never seen the film, go go get it out. But don't, don't get anything after the first one, because they're not right. Uh, John, the truck driver, texts, when I'm on the A19, I'm on the A19, near a place called Potto, in the northeast, I notice in the early morning sky there's a bright light that does not appear to be moving, yet all the other stars have gone. Doody doody. Aliens. Aliens. A19, known for it. Potto, home of aliens. That's you get more people going, I've seen this in the sky. There's always a bright light. Always a bright light. And it's in the night sky and there's no explanation for it. Lots of crop circles around there as well. So, uh, John, try not to worry about it. Actually, t- t- funny enough, you being a truck driver ties in nicely with a story in the paper today about a series of films that I think are on the LBC website of truck drivers. One is filling in a form at the wheel while they're driving. Another one is watching a DVD. Uh, one is using his telephone. It's amazing all these people are out there doing all these, uh, all these different things. It's a lorry driver filmed by police watching a DVD behind the wheel. Now, he's driving on the left-hand side, so he's, he's obviously got to be a foreign lorry driver. You know, I would love to... I want to be a, I want to be a plainclothes police car, please. I want to drive down. I want to see everybody on their phones. Okay, you see, look, and the, the, the second one is a white van man. Here he is. Yeah, and then, the, and then he holds up his hand to show he hasn't got the phone in it anymore. That's six penalty points. I would be giving six penalty points every time. It, I really would. There's one here filling in a form on the wheel as he's driving. Have you seen such mad people? Dangerous people. Beep, 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 beep. You'd have to stop them. It's on the LBC website. Go and check it out. You'd be, you'll, you'll die when you see it. These people are a danger. But there's one of them. They've actually filmed inside. He's got uh, his sat-nav and his sweeties and he's got everything going in there. Laptop. He's plugged in his laptop. Luckily, they've actually pulled him, pulled him over and they've lifted up the laptop and there he is. He's watching a film. He's watching a film. It's just unbelievable, isn't it, that people are doing that. I'm sorry, I'd be saying, I'm terribly sorry, you're walking from here. We're, we're commandeering your truck. Just dangerous, isn't it? Just blooming dangerous. But I told you, these, these people have no fear of the police. They're not bothered. You see white van men all the time, with apologies to the decent ones. But, you know, there's quite a lot of white van men and flatbed truck people on their telephone. They don't care. They don't care at all. So, uh, anyway, John the truck driver, as I say, we can't help you out with your bright light in the sky, but we like the idea of it. Should have taken a picture and submitted it. Somebody will believe in something like that. Uh, Mark says, older drivers can be frustrating when they dawdle in front of you. However, when I'm uh, I'm behind a car with a Panama hat perched on show in the rear window, my heart sinks because, in my experience, this is a a badge of honour for inept drivers. What, a Panama hat, is it really? I always think box of tissues on the back seat is always a bit of a giveaway. Don't you think so? Box of tissues. I don't know why. I just always think that's the funniest thing going. Don't care about the drivers, Steve, over 90. It's the ones under 30 that worry me. Uh, Nick in Surrey says, did you have a Tony Curtis haircut when you were younger? No. No. I can remember we we had our first... In the town I grew up in, well, one of the many towns I grew up in, we had a hairdresser there, which was set up by the boyfriend of a friend of mine's sister. And it was the first place that they offered highlights for men the first place I'd ever had highlights and uh, there's another name for highlights isn't there anyway uh, so I had highlights put in and for years I had highlights I quite liked it I kept sort of lightening up your hair I thought I looked pretty cool 
Obviously, looking back at the pictures, I don't think I looked as cool as I probably thought I did. Uh, Barbara in Hendon says, wish Jason, our sovereign driver, a happy birthday for this weekend. Everybody's celebrating birthdays. Everybody's celebrating birthdays. It's all right when you get to a certain birthday, but it's, it's frustrating when you get beyond that. The amount of people... We said yesterday, uh, the... Uh, uh, the I forgot what I was talking about, actually. Uh, the amount of people... What was I talking about? I can't remember. Birthdays, birthdays. No, it'll come back to me later. Anyway, um, brilliant show, Steve. What's a poo stick? Um, that was what Winnie the Pooh played with Christopher Robin. And it's where you, you get a stick each, and you go onto a bridge on a little river or a stream, and you throw your sticks in the water, and then you rush to the other side of the bridge and see whose stick emerges first. It's stick racing, but they called it poo sticks because poo played it. And in fact, you can also see them playing poo sticks into the Manor Bourne. Audrey Forbes Hamilton goes, oh, let's play poo sticks. And so they seem to have such a jolly, exciting life uh, that they went and played poo sticks. So it's, it's just basically sticks in the water and then they, they flow onto the bridge. It's the simplest things. It's the simplest things. When we were younger, there were so many things to do. Nowadays, they're bored. They're absolutely bored out of their tinies. I bought something the other day that I'm, I nearly bought the other day. It's a car vacuum cleaner. I've decided I wanted a little car vacuum cleaner. And this is, I know, I'm sad. I need to get a life. But I, li- I like it. I'm going to use it today. It plugs into the cigarette lighter. And it looks like a little, what? I won't use it again. I know. I've taken it out of the box and thrown the box away. And I've, I've got this little car vacuum cleaner. It'll end up being with my brother. Most things end up with my poor brother whose gout is still there. He's got to go uh, in for uh, for check this week to find out if they can give him an operation to stop the gout in his hands. Uh, with regards to uh, Laserdisc, uh, Steve, uh, I still have mini-discs. I've, I've got a mini-disc player. I don't use it, but I've got a whole pack of brand-new mini-discs and the, laser, and the, and the mini-disc player and all those kind of things and a connection. I know the stuff over the years. I've told you, I've still got... I've still got... One of those um, talking teddy bears, like Teddy Ruxpin, I think it is, very similar, who you plug in and then he reacts to the television video. I've still got that. I've still got uh, some computer games that we gave away years ago on the programme, years ago. And I thought I'd be really trendy. But my ultimate prize, my ultimate prize is a company called ITC, who who do videos and stuff like that. And I've got their complete catalogue at home. We gave it away years and about... 35 years ago, 40 years ago, nearly. And uh, they very kindly gave me a set as well. So I've got all of the Thunderbirds, all of the Robin Hoods. I've got all of just about everything that came out uh, through ITC, including uh, all the British comedy films, all the British uh, police films, all the, everything, everything. It amounts to, um, I think, about 200 videos. And a friend of mine who saw them years ago said... What are you doing with those? Why don't you just get rid of them? I said, you're joking. It's a collection. What my brother does or anybody who comes after me, I don't care. But uh, at the moment, I can't throw things out. I'm finding it really difficult. I think I must be one of those people who think, you know, it's like I've got friends of mine who watch DVDs. And then they say, well, why have you got these DVDs? I said, because I bought them, because I like them. I like watching these films. Every so often I I have a revisit. The producer is telling me uh, that he was watching the other day, Yes, Prime Minister and Yes, Minister, because they're so good. They're so good. And when you think the two main characters are not with us anymore. But they were so good. They were so good that Mrs Thatcher used to watch them and lots of members of the government because they seemed to get so many accuracies right. And it was so brilliantly done and scripted. Uh, And I said, I still watch those. What was I watching yesterday? I was watching some Victoria Wood shows. 
and realising just what a great comic genius she was and what a shame she's not with us anymore. Uh, have you got a, a really good producer? Have you really, have you really got a producer? Um, I think so, yes. No, he says he isn't real. He says, it's, it's like listening to Matthew Corbett and Sooty. I don't think he sounds like Sooty at all. That's a bit of an insult. Sooty, ne- Sooty never speaks anyway. Sooty doesn't say anything at all. Sweep does. Sweet, sweet makes noises, but um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's commonly known in the business as, as a one-man operation, as they say, a one-man operation. My side, but there's a, a team the other side. Oh my goodness me, the team we've got here at LBC, loads of people. The first because it's they're in tiered seating behind the glass. So the first tiered seating, reading from left to right, junior producer, assistant producer, main producer. Next seating level up, work experience, very old work experience. Somebody on secondment, and then the thing above that, the the getters, the people who actually the gophers, they go and get your tea, coffee, and stuff like that. And then the one person sitting in the corner over there, who's constantly looking down at the uh, at the screen, is the scriptwriter for the program, the person who writes all the uh, the lines and everything else, which which I talk about. So that's how it works. So now you know how radio operates. Yeah, the tea person said, "How many sugars?" The tea person is new and would know that I'm diabetic, so I don't have sugar. Tell them off about that and tell them if they don't buck their ideas up, they'll be on... Um, whose show can we put them on to? <laughs> put them on with Magical Hour. <laughs> That's coming up today. I was also thinking... I was, it's a shame I was looking forward to seeing uh, Mr O'Brien today because we both got knocked out. I don't want to be bitter about it by the Radio Times person, but both with exactly the same scores. I'm led to believe that there's been a little bit of underhandness going on uh, because... I was knocked out. This bloke, whoever he is, got 79 or 80%, and I got 18%. He must have got 82%. O'Brien, exactly the same. Exactly the same. How odd is that, ladies and gentlemen? How very odd is that? I thought it was peculiarly odd. Very strange. Uh, Steve uh, says, Martin, the white liner, I've just seen a cab driver doing a crossword as he was turning right. Well, you can't turn right. One down, I shouted, is idiot. Clean version. And um, the light in the sky, says Paul from Hayes, near Heathrow. He says, could be the International Space Station. What's that? What's the International Space Station? Oh, right. We've actually got an International Space Station. Oh, right. OK. Well, it's visible from here. Good Lord. Well, there you go. It's a bit like a bit like Thunderbirds, isn't it? We're going up to... Hello. Is that where the British astronaut went? To the International Space Station. Good Lord. Is there, is there a Lady Penelope up there, or a Lady and, and Parker and everybody else, all these other people from Thunderbirds? Or is it just the International Space Station with real people? It's a real place, is it? A real, real place. Unbelievable. Here it is. A space station or habitable artificial satellite in low Earth orbit. Good heavens above. It's enormous. How many people are on it? Fully crewed, six. Currently aboard, three. They've got loads of it. They've got a disco or something like that. Days in orbit, 18 years. Days occupied, 16 years. Number of orbits, 102,491. Orbital decay, two kilometres a month. Wow. Well, there you go. That's what it could have been. It could have been the space station. How exciting. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, a very nice heavy company. 520, my, uh, my new best friend, says your previous texter Noted the light he could see was static. The space station races across the sky. Morning treacle. You remember that how that originated, this morning treacle thing? It's because I used to have a driver and he had lots of different girlfriends. 
couldn't remember their names. So when they phoned, he'd go, hello, Treacle. I thought, and it was the way he did it as well. He was, he was, a, he was a bit of a cockney, and uh, hello, Treacle. And I'm, I can't remember if they used it in EastEnders or not. I think it's quite funny, actually. So I don't think I, I use the word pop it all the time. I can't help it. I type pop it to just about everybody. You know, pop it this, pop it that. But Treacle, I've never, I've never done. I think it's quite endearing, actually. Joy and uh, Brian says uh, they found an item in the Ilford recorder. Because you know the area well, I do. We were talking about Ilford the other day. Somebody said you wouldn't recognise it, Steve. You wouldn't. But they've been regular listeners for over 30 years. We've seen you live at the Queen's Theatre in Hornchurch several times. We also remember your appearance at the first New Year's Day parade. And now we've found another Steve Allen. This is, I think, Steve in Allen. This is this one, who apparently does a, does a programme on a, on a radio station. He, he's only got one, one show a week. And he does the... Well, I think it's only one show a week, actually. So, um... I remember years ago when I was working at discotheques, there turned out to be quite a number of Steve Allens in the country. There was a Radio 2 producer who was called Steve Allen. And, uh, and I remember thinking, oh, honestly, such a common name, isn't it? Actually, Allen, in broadcasting terms, is a very common name, used by loads of people. I mean, at one time, I think LBC had the most Allens that we've ever had anywhere. We had Dominic Allen, who did sport, Peter Allen, Carol Allen. There was Steve Allen... There's probably a few others I've missed out as well. Mike Allen. So that's five on one station. It was phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Sadly, um, Dominic Allen not with us anymore. And I always remember him doing the sport and doing, doing the cricket. He had one of those great radio voices. Mike Allen, uh, who died some, uh, some years ago now, he used to do a, a hip-hop show on LBC. We all used to, when it first arrived, we laughed. We'd never heard anything like it. Being speech radio presenters and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Steve... Uh, if you'd, um, oh, it's antiques hour, says Mark today. It's definitely not. That was last week. That was definitely last week. Definitely not antiques hour. And he says, uh, you could have won that award, uh, if you had gone tactively. Tactively. Well, I, I just thought it was odd that both Mr. O'Brien and myself both lost out to exactly the same person and for nearly exactly the same results. I mean, how is that possible? How is that possible? Uh, maybe the bright light in the sky your listeners saw is Venus, says Philip from Bournemouth. Right. Well, I'm, I'm prepared to, to take anything on board. I'm, I'm, I'm really not, uh, not particularly fussy. But it, we, we, we think that the space station, according to my new best friend, uh, races across the sky. There was a story about racing across the sky, wasn't there? Was it horses or something like that? <laughs> the sun this morning, Kem's China crisis... This is some poor bloke who dragged his uh, carcass off Love Island to tell you about his dreary existence. Where he thinks it's going, I've got no idea. Earl Spencer speaks out. Uh, ghouls tried to rob my sister's grave four times. They've made sure, though, that, I mean, nobody will get anywhere near Diana. Absolutely nowhere near her. Uh, Diana's body snatcher. Snatchers. And he said the family had seen them off from the estate. He also claimed AIDS lied him about Princess William and Harry wanting to walk behind their mum's coffin because they didn't. Robert Patterson in the papers today. He's confessed he was kicked out of private school, aged 12, for flogging stolen porn mags. So he would swipe them from a shop near his uh, school and says, I used to put one or two in my bag. I was in my school uniform and it was kind of risky. And then he used to take the entire rack and he'd sell them at school. Oh, Lord, honestly. hope he's been back to the shop or at least, you know, offered to pay for these things now. Um, uh, Harry was 12, uh, William 15, and um, 
They had um, lots of people talking about it. Truly horrific, he says, this half an hour of his life. Truly horrific, having to walk behind his, uh, his sister's coffin. Uh, Angelina Jolie has revealed she battled Bell's palsy in the wake of her divorce. I think actually stress... <coughs> Excuse me. Can bring on all sorts of illnesses, can't it? You can sort of you can you can make yourself ill. Uh, also, just one man in the rich list of all the models. Uh, the top model being Cara Delevingne. Most of them you won't have heard of. You've heard of the next one down, Rosie Huntingdon Whiteley, six point five million. Kate Moss five million. Naomi Campbell three million. God, I thought she'd be way up the top, but uh, only three million. Georgia May Jagger two point five million, and then somebody called Edie Campbell, two million. Uh, Jordan Dunn, 1.75 million. Erin O'Connor, 1.5 million. Lottie Moss, 1 million. Uh, David Gandhi is at number four. He's the only bloke in there. He models pants, 4 million. He's worth 4 million. I'll model my pants for 4 million. I'll do. Who? David Beckham, sadly not there. Not there at all, David Beckham. But I'm sure, actually, somewhere in here will be the Beckham family, because they all love each other, and they adore their children, and, uh, and they've been out for an ice cream together with a photographer. So they can prove that they are a united family. Isn't that lovely? Isn't that nice that they're a united family again? Because every time, as I said before, you get a little piece in the paper about them having a few sort of problems, and, you know, Dave, and I very rarely see them together. Separate lives, I should imagine. He's sort of too busy going off with his new chums who she doesn't like because she doesn't drink. Well, she likes a drink, but just doesn't quite like her. And um, and so they then have a picture three days later of showing the whole family going out. You can imagine them all going back in and go, Brooklyn, where are you going? No, you're not. We're going out for a photo. Oh, what for, Dad? Because there's been a piece in the paper about your mother. Now, come on. Get yourself together. OK, you put your arms around me and pretend we've really bonded as a family. OK, how many how many tattoos now? Four. Remarkable. OK, um, OK, uh, other kids? Sorry, who are you? OK, Cruz and Romeo, you, you can come as well. And, it, and the girl? The girl um, yes, Harper, you, you, you come as well. Mummy's coming with us as well, but she'll be wearing dark glasses, OK? But you'll still recognise her, because that's what she looks like at home. OK, and we'll walk in front, we'll all go and get an ice cream and pretend we're a big happy family. You know, if, you, if they were that famous in America, they'd be getting in the car, going down there, or failing like having it delivered... Nobody goes out for an ice cream in America if you're famous. You really don't. I'm sorry. You have it delivered. You don't sort of stand in queue in case somebody goes, is that the Beckhams? You two together or not? Well, you know, they won't risk that. They won't risk that because, you know, she has to be protected. Helped, I think, by, by Brooklyn a lot of the time. And he sort of helped her out of clubs when she's had one or two sort of sherbets. And uh, Dave, apparently, was well the worse for wear at Glastonbury. So she wasn't pleased about that when she flew in by helicopter, hoping there'd be a big sort of reception of people going, whoa, it's Victoria Beckham on a helicopter. And is she flying it? No, no, she's just a passenger. And, uh, and they have to do something like that. And then they sort of turn up. And then he was tiddled by that time. He'd, he'd lost the plot. He was with Brooke. Yeah, whoa, whoa. A bit like that. And so she's sort of, she, she's trying to, I suppose, sort of command an air of decorum. But uh, it doesn't quite work, does it? Uh, Kem Gettine. Nobody knows who he is. But uh, the girl, incidentally, who is called somebody, Amber, uh, he's not going to marry you for ten years, dear. And let's face it, your relationship won't be still around in ten years' time. You're only 20. You're just a little child. You don't know anything. You have to appear on television and have sex on television. They're all doing it, aren't they? Perhaps we should start this programme every morning. Today's Bonk with Steve. Or something like that. I just, I just don't understand how it gets all the ratings. You know, if my programme was really, really successful, I'd be having to pose in my pants in the papers and stuff like that. People coming around going, Steve, can we have another picture of you with some page three lovelies draped all over your naked torso? What? 
That's what they'd be asking, wouldn't they? I mean, it would be quite... Uh, well, Jamie and Camilla, I mean, her, her, her career's gone right down. I mean, I mean, there is another, another stage that does book at bedtime. Book at bedtime. So we could do Bonk with Steve. You know, Bonk with Steve. And you, people could nominate people to be bonked with. That'd make it marginally more interesting, wouldn't it? I think so. I quite fancy that idea. Well, I mean, seriously, I don't, because, you know, I just don't do things like that. Yeah, we'll have a word, but I'll have a word with the boss, maybe tomorrow or something like that. He'll, he'll be going, oh, no, Steve, I don't think so. <laughs> and yet, I keep saying to him, have you heard Lucy Berryford's sex show on the radio? I mean, it's an eye-opener for both of us, and I've been around the world a couple of times. But, I mean, for him, it might, he's from Middlesbrough. I mean, goodness sake, honestly, if you see rabbits on the lawn, you cover your eyes. You know, it's very worrying, isn't it? Uh, other stories in the uh, the papers today. There's a picture of who is this person here? I don't know actually. It's oh, it's um, uh, it's uh, a photograph of Emily Ratajowski, who apparently is uh, some sort of model. That's all I know actually. Dum 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 dum. There's a a climber who was rescued after a 60-foot fall thanks to an app on his iPhone. He'd suffered a, a serious head injury on Dove Crag in the Lake District on Tuesday, fell while searching for the priest's hole cave made famous for Secret Britain. After calling 999, he was able to share his Find My Friend app with rescuers, which shows a user's location via GPS. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. It's almost as bad as that other poor actor, isn't it, who is now so much better. Honey G, rather dreary, and the, the bizarre column, so desperate to put people in there that they've got to put her in there. The latest staggering news from the talentless Honey G is that she's a lesbian, and she wants to share that with everybody for reasons best known to herself. I've got no idea why. I just said it was a career that was going nowhere. And I was absolutely right. It's hit the buffers. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Nice to be company. 27 minutes to uh, 6. ITV, good news, will not disclose their star's pay. And why should they? They won't reveal details of the salaries in the wake of the BBC's gender pay controversy. Uh, but Sir Peter Bazalgette says he expects an improvement in differences between the commercial broadcasters, male and female staff. He says we take gender issues, employment and pay very seriously. Uh, Sir Peter, so they always put his age down, Sir Peter, 64. Who cares? So he says next April, as required, we will publish gender pay gap numbers. But he says we would never discuss confidential contracts for anybody working at ITV. I agree. It's got... Although, actually, I mean, it wouldn't make any difference if people knew what people earned nowadays. But it, I just don't think it's of any interest to anybody. I said that from day one. And I haven't changed either. Paul Nichols gives a thumb up from his hospital bed. He's recovering, bless his heart, after that, uh, that waterfall. And uh, he had no insurance. So his stepfather is footing the bill for treatment in hospital on the Thai island. Uh, so obviously he hasn't made as much money as we thought. All these people you think make loads of money. You think they're really well known. They must have made loads of money. And then you read two people who have sex on television are set to make millions. Through what? Endorsements, we're told. Endorsements. I'm not uh, not actually sure that I'd be buying anything endorsed by somebody who bonked on television. Seems quite ridiculous, doesn't it? Uh, one here. This is, a, this is a sad story. This is a very sad story. This is a boy of 13 who hanged himself after bullies tortured him. This is Aaron Lith who had a condom rubbed in his face, his parents uh, taunted, stones thrown at his home, was told to slit his wrists. His family told his school but got a dismissive and arrogant reply. They later, later took him out of class, but he continued to be targeted. 
On January the 11th, Aaron texted his girlfriend and said, I'm not happy with my life. I have to do this. I'm sorry. It was found near his home the next day. Three boys and a girl were arrested, but no action was taken. Because in the classroom, they would know who these people were who bully people. We said this after that Polish girl was bullied the other, uh, the other month. And I said, they must know. It would only be certain people in the class who would bully, and everybody would know exactly who they were. These are the bullies. You know, so, they, so they've already questioned three boys and a girl. They were arrested, but no action was taken. So what were his parents left with? Nothing. Nothing. It's not right, is it? It's absolutely not right. Uh, Steve, Pete Beale used to call everybody treacle in EastEnders. Did he? I don't know. He's probably listening to the programme at the moment, I should imagine. Uh, Steve, you're joking about the shows with James O'Brien. I want to listen to Antiques Hour, Gardening Hour, and some of the others, but I always miss them, says Ben in Surrey. No, no, they're still there. You just have to, it's, you just have to hunt around to find them, because they, they sort of come in on a different... Uh, sort of bit of the network, but uh, it does work. Uh, Kevin the Milkman says, the bright light in the sky can only be Thunderbird 5. I just like the idea that we see things, you know, in, in the sky and we don't know what they are. Whereas, you know, if you have, were Superman, you could fly up there and go, oh, it's nothing. It's a ping pong ball with a light in it. You know, suspended on a piece of cat gut or something like that. Um, there's one here, some travel editor evacuated a beach in the French fire horror. Uh, lots of, because once these fires take hold... They take hold, and uh, the flames are licking the campsites. The keep calm and carry on mentality turns to despair. Yes, you can't fight uh, fire all the time. You really can't. It's, uh, it spreads, and fast. It spreads very, very fast. And so that's what they've got loads of pictures. Uh, seems to be taking a while for the great British Bake Off judge, Paul Hollywood, to get his head around the new presenters on the show. I can uh, well imagine calling Noel Fielding and Sandy Toxic Melon Sue. Uh, mainly because Mel and Sue quit. And so now they seem to be the new flavour of the day where the BBC will use them on everyone. Surprised they've not turned up on Farming World or sort of, you know, trawler fishermen in the North Sea with Mel and Sue. Because their chat show on the television was dire on, uh, I think, Channel 5. But that was sort of dropped ages ago and then they went through a sort of a fallow period. And now we've got them back again on just about everything. So you'll have them on a baking programme. Then you'll have them on the, probably an antiques programme they'll do. And then probably a makeover show. And you're going to get them on the Generation Game. And they're writing a sitcom. I suppose you've got to capitalise on it. They didn't feature on that list of people over 150,000. So obviously not doing as well as I thought they were. Uh, good news for fans suffering from Love Island withdrawal symptoms. Nope, sadly not. But, uh, Channel 5 has revealed the lineup of its new summer sizzler, Make or Break. The show focuses on eight troubled couples who are sent off to a luxury resort in Mexico. Oh, do me a favour. That's ridiculous. There are no luxury resorts in Mexico. So they're sending them over there, and here they all are. And what a bunch of people they are too. Yes, they're all very odd. Uh, all the boys have got the we've-been-to-the-gymnasium bodies. And, and all the girls have got these I'm-not-wearing-my-hair. I think it was grown on the back of a yak. And uh, they put them in bikinis. Some of them look dead ropey. That's just the blokes. And uh, some of the girlfriends, very odd. But they're all troubled. Apparently, among the contestants is uh, Richard Cull, who is Scarlet Moffat's ex. Riveting. That's his, that's his claim to fame, is it? He's been with Scarlet Moffat. God, blimey, I keep that one pretty quiet. Uh, also, the, uh, the other uh, thing, cult comedy Trigger Happy is back for a second outing. This is Dom Jolly's hilarious hidden camera show. About as funny as nothing, I'm afraid. Dom Jolly. Comedian? Don't think so. Funny? Don't think so. I don't know why. You know, some people you find funny, some people you don't. It's like there is... Oh, I wonder what Mystic Meg says about our stars today. OK, this will apply to all of you. Neptune 
like we all know Neptune, don't we? Your science guide clashes with the sun and sets up two very different work paths. One keeps you at a level which you find easy and secure. The other rockets you out of your comfort zone but rewards you financially and uses all of your talents. Well, I'm going to win the lottery. Going to win the lottery. That's for all of you, incidentally. Uh, belly dancing classes in prison. They've decided this is a good way to get people uh, to sort of keep fit in prison. Obviously for women. In the women's prison. I'm sure that the women who are in prison, the last thing they're going to be thinking about is, oh, I must get down to do that belly dancing class today. What a dreadful waste of money. Uh, the giant spider, which terrifies the family at home. This is enormous. This is the size of a dinner plate, this thing. If you don't like spiders, please do not open up the papers today because you'll only frighten yourself and you'll get yourself all worried and it'll be all dreadful. And uh, don't read anything about Donald Trump and the transgender thing. He doesn't want them in the American forces. So presumably people in will be thrown out or they won't actually throw them out. They'll just say that they're medically unfit. Uh, also, what was the other story? Oh, yes, the, the fact that, uh, that John Leslie quit Celebrity Big Brother. Can't work that one out at all. Alves, the, uh, the little former trolley dolly who thinks he looks like Ken, he's also quit. They've so got two people quitting before the thing's even started. So expect some other drearies, because let's face it, whoever goes in certainly wasn't considered to go in before John Leslie and the little cosmetically enhanced person decided to drop out. So they're looking for two no marks. So you'll be looking for Z-listers. So once they announce them, you'll be going, oh, blimey. They weren't even considered for the first lot, so now they've actually brought them in from the second lot, which is always entertaining. We don't mind that. Uh, this, this giant spider, I mean, do you think it's real? Apparently, bigger than a dinner plate, trapped a couple inside their house. I mean, how this thing hides away... I've got no idea. It was mean, says the woman in whose house it is. It was mean. How do you work out that a, a spider is mean? I mean, to be honest with you, they only have to look at me, spider. This thing looks as though it could actually drag you back into its lair again. And, uh, and you'd never be seen ever, ever again. I just don't... I don't like it, actually. I don't like spiders. Also, I don't even really want to see a, a picture of a, of a spider. But this one is so big. It is so big. Uh, also, the bloke from uh, from Dragon's Den. This is a businessman who was rejected on Dragon's Den. Has been offered ninety million pounds for his health food company. Well, there you go, there you go. That's like Levi Roots, isn't it? They they made a big mistake on the television. They said, "Oh, Levi Roots is here." So you're still living in a council house? He said, "No, I'm not." He said, "I still live in Hackney." He said, "But I don't live in a council house." Uh, Tim Vine, apparently. Uh, Never got the Doctor Who gig, but he's landed the next best thing, a new sitcom about time travel. Wouldn't we all love to do that? Wouldn't you all love to do time travel? If you could literally walk into a room and go, right, where are we going to go to? And then end up somewhere difficult. Wouldn't you want to do that? I would. Oh, I think that would be absolutely fantastic. That'd be one of the nicest things. But I just don't know where I'd go. Would I want to go to Victorian England? Would I go back a little bit further, Georgia? I don't know which would be the best time, actually. Either way, London would have been filthy dirty. Victorian times would have been dreadful. I do like blue flowers. You don't get them. It's like black flowers. Very difficult to find. You get a few in the nasturtium line of sort of black uh, flowers. But blue, they've been trying for for 13 years. And they finally managed it. What they've done is they've... Uh, DNA is taken from the butterfly pea and Canterbury Bell by soaking their petals and leaves in a chemical solution. So that's Butterfly Pea and Canterbury Bell. Plus, uh, they've got blue DNA, which they then put into the chrysanthemum nucleus, and it delivers the genes into the nucleus of the chrysanthemum cell. And um, a year later, the seeds from the plant germinate and produce plants with blue flowers. And apparently people want blue I don't know. Do they do red chrysanthemums? Proper red. You know, like pillar box red, as opposed to other red. I don't know, actually. I don't know. But blue... When I first saw this thing, I thought they just looked like dried flowers. 
dried blue chrysanthemums. There's certain colours that you can't give to people in Japan. There are certain colours that mean different things. And I'm sure you can't give, I think, I might be wrong, white chrysanthemums, because that signifies death or something like that. So you've only got to, you have to sort of, you know, give the right... Well, I never know that. I never know. If I had enough money, I'd buy loads of flowers every week. Tons, arms and arms of flowers, and you'd put them all down and just have them in vases everywhere, just to make them look nice. And also, there seem to be so many of them coming. They're so cheap. Flowers are so cheap at the moment. I mean, really. Bluebells. Bluebells. Yeah. No. <laughs> Working backwards in the programme today. Bluebells. Oh, Botanical Hour with James O'Brien. That's next Thursday, so you can call in on that one and ask about, you know, how you get bluebells. Actually, you don't see bluebells very often. I've, I've, I've been in a bluebell wood, which I thought was quite nice. That was sort of protected. And, and I quite, and, but the one thing I like is daffodils. Hosts and hosts of golden daffodils and jonquils. They're quite nice as well. Little sort of, you know, the, the white ones and anything like that. Just, you know, if, if I had, you know, enough room or land, which, you know, I haven't. But if I had, I would just have it filled with, with daffodils, you know. And so you just have acres and acres of daffodils. I think they're so pretty and they last for quite a while. I wouldn't cut them and stick them in vases. But at the moment, everybody's gone sunflower mad. Sunflowers everywhere. You can buy bunches of sunflowers. You stick them in a vase. There's sunflowers in. Some, sunflowers. I've got, I've got some eight-foot ones on the patio. They're not mine. They belong to, uh, to a couple of the children there. And, uh, and they're lovely, but they're in a small pot and they keep falling over because the wind has been a bit, uh, a bit dramatic at the moment. And then uh, we're worrying about the weather today. We're worrying about just how wet it's going to be. Every day I bring the umbrella in. Every day I take it back home. Which is probably a, a good idea, isn't it, really? Uh, could Gavin Stacey return to the big screen? Larry Lamb, who played the father of Gavin in the sitcom, said, I don't think anybody that was in it would ever say no. Well, do you think James Corden, who is now so big in America, would come back to do Gavin and Stacey? You know, his uh, company is producing, I think, my friend will know more about this, um, a version of Top of the Pops, which will have all the... So, because Top of the Pops of its day was good. And, uh, you know, you've got all the... I mean, people would literally give up tours to go on to, uh, to Top of the Pops because it could move your record up the charts. Uh, and then we didn't have any. We had the Tube, which was a little bit avant-garde. We've had various other little programmes. But I'd, I'd be more than happy to see a return of Top of... Not with the audience, though. I wonder what they look like now. Half that audience who used to go and dance, they all lived around Shepherd's Bush. You'd never really travel. A few people travelled to it, but not, not very often. And then you'd sort of, you know, they'd all be sort of watching it, and then they'd all dance. And they were all... Some of them, I can remember them instantly now. A couple of the girls who were obviously a little bit older than the other people there, and one boy uh, who looked a bit Greek... And he was always dancing. He, he loved the camera and the camera loved him as well. But they never got any money for it. They just got the glory of being, you know, shown on the television, which I never quite worked out, actually. But you do get people who do anything to appear on the television, won't they now? As Love Island has demonstrated. <laughs> oh, dear. Experts say taking drugs after you feel well may encourage the rise of superbugs. So you shouldn't always take the full course of antibiotics. They always say that, though. They always say take the, uh, take the full course. I've done things like that. I've taken antibiotics. Um, also, people saying banning diesel cars and petrol cars isn't going far enough. We need to go further. I don't know how much further. They, I heard some woman on the television the other day saying, we need to redesign our towns. And where do you think the money, Sweet Pea, is coming from for all of this? You know, bad enough having electric cars. Just supposing people can't afford electric cars. Well, I suppose that's, that's tough on you, isn't it? Only the rich will survive. Because they want everybody to be driving electric cars. I don't want to drive an electric car. I don't mind them. I've, got, I've been on electric buses where when we sort of pull into the bus stop, it, it turns itself off. And then he has to start the thing up again. 
ridiculous, honestly. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. The more you hear about chicken, the more you worry about it. See, I don't eat... I eat, um... Uh, what do I eat? Salmon, uh, chicken, and steak. Fillet steak. Not all the time, just every so often. I kind of vary it. Um, I used to eat pork. I don't eat pork. I eat turkey occasionally, Christmas time, things like that. But um, ever since I discovered that poor, poor chickens don't really have a long shelf life, they sort of, they're fed with all this stuff, which plumps them up, and then, bless their little hearts, off they go to the slaughterhouse, and the next thing, there they are, you know, minus heads and all the other bits and pieces, with apologies to vegetarians. But there's, uh, then there was this thing about the... And it's a cabinet war now over chlorine chickens. Chlorine chickens. Now, I've heard of chicken being sold... Uh, washed with a saline solution because it makes it edible for a short period of time. But, I mean, this is American chicken. I mean, it's really bizarre. Why don't we have it? Well, it was banned in 97, and apparently EU processors are only allowed to use cold air and water to decontaminate poultry carcasses. Well, who was it telling me this the other day? I think it was James O'Brien was telling me liquid chicken. Liquid chicken. In America, container lorries, liquid chicken. And what's it for? They spray it onto pet food to make it more appealing to the pet. Liquid chicken. Because when you see, uh, and you can find this in all the supermarkets, you look at a classic thing to look for, chicken Kiev. Is it actual chicken breast or is it made out of shaped and formed chicken? If it's that, then this is chicken which has been taken off with a gun Literally, they will blast it to get every scrap of meat off the bones. You're only left with the bone. And then they form this uh, this chicken. And so that's why it's cheap. It's cheap. But we don't have this uh, chicken because uh, it was declared illegal. Also, the health fears here. I mean, chlorine, as far as I'm... Didn't you used to walk through a chlorine bath at the swimming pool? That was in case you had feet problems and you'd walk through the... I mean, sometimes we used to jump the chlorine bath. I don't know why. Because, but they put it in the swimming pools, don't they? Chlorine. And it's used for, for something like de, decontamination. My friend says chlorination chicken. He's definitely on something this morning. I don't, he's probably on sort of penguins or something like that. Sorry, penguins, very bad in the light of the recent events in, in the papers about penguins being savaged by a fox the other day. But, uh, yeah, chlorination chicken. I just don't like to think of it. I mean, I'm sure that it sort of takes away the thing. But they say here, inhaling it or drinking high concentrations can cause vomiting, coma and even death. Well, you're never going to be doing that, are you? I don't think so, anyway. But uh, critics say that very low levels, the chlorine can react with organic matter to produce compounds known as chlorine disinfectant byproducts. And, and it's got very long words, which I can't read this morning. And um, are there safety concerns? Yes. Washing chicken with chlorinated water at the end of processing is a catch-all used to cover up unhygienic and dangerous practices. So, you know, does the chicken taste different? They say it's a matter of taste. Many food experts insist that the fewer the chemicals, the better the natural flavour. Because if you remember Marks and Spencers, I'm sure it works in other, in other companies, they have oakum chickens. It's a made-up brand. There is no such chicken called an oakum chicken. It's made up because they think it sounds as if it comes from a nice sort of place. But it's still chicken. And probably the same as every other sort of chicken, really. Because I can't tell the difference nowadays. I do eat chicken, but I would use it in a stir-fry, so I wouldn't know if it had flavour or not. You never just eat a piece of chicken, do you? I don't think you just eat a piece of chicken. But uh, either way, I'm not sure about that. Chlorine-soaked chicken, thank you very much indeed. No, 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 no. Alzheimer's Alzheimer's memory loss could be reversed. You'll like that headline. And uh, they say here it could one day be reversed. 
and restored. Unfortunately, probably not in our lifetime. Uh, also, the... Um, now, this one here, wait a minute. Da, 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 da. Oh, that's right. This is a madam. Her name is Christy Norman. Uh, she runs a brothel. She was caught. Everybody around there knew she was running a brothel. She's, uh, she's just uh, a woman who looks after hookers. Um, and uh, she helped manage the brothel. She said, oh, I'm just the cleaner. But everybody around there knew her. One, one neighbour says, everybody knows it's a brothel. You see cars pulling up and men going in and out of there at all hours of the day and night. It's odd, isn't it? I never quite understand brothels. People willing to go and have sex with somebody who's had sex with loads of other people beforehand. It's like, you know, if you go into a bar and you chat somebody up, you go, sorry, just, just asking, have you had many sexual partners? And they go, about three or four hundred, you go, OK, thanks, see you later, bye. You know, you're going to go somewhere else, aren't you? But apparently in brothels, it seems to be OK. Who is the hunk in trunks? I have to tell you, it's not me, it's Adam Peaty. Uh, he's done very, very well. Very, very well. He's working class boy, made good, and uh, they like him. He's sickeningly good looking. He swims, he's fit, he's, uh, he's got tattoos, and they talk about his muscles, his mind, his chest, um, you know, what he eats, and, you know, and how well he's done. So that's what I like. I like that in, in sports. It just makes me feel equally, you know, sort of depressed at the same time. I could look at somebody and go, great body, never likely to happen for me. You know, it's a lovely thought, but, you know, you can't stand next to anybody like that because they just make you feel even worse. Because then people go, you know, so who's who's the bloke with the great body standing next to the fat Steve Allen? And they go, oh, that, that's that peaty bloke. He, he swims. And you think, that's great. But eventually it's going to turn around and he's going to become fat and I'm going to go thin. Not in my lifetime. This is after I've gone, I suppose. And uh, because I don't, cause generally sportsmen and women sort of go to seed a bit, don't they, after they've actually stopped. This is what I'm trying to comfort myself with thinking. There's also a piece in the paper today. I'm afraid I have to get very angry because uh, recently the Mail highlighted uh, the elderly victims of care home abuse and the soft sentences their tormentors got. And they've, they've done a piece on what sort of people commit these shaming crimes. They've got a picture of them. These are vile pieces of work. I mean, they look disgusting. And they're all people who've been convicted of abusing elderly people in their care. Dementia sufferers. We had one the other day, didn't we? She sprayed air freshener into a dementia sufferer's mouth. And, uh, and her, you know, I think the courts have got to come down heavier. There was one here who's been jailed for nine months. The judge said in the case of Fiona Salmon that um, she used to sit on residence. She weighs 28 stone. She used to sit on residence. The judge said she showed no remorse or regret. Uh, Emma Bryan, uh, footage showed uh, one woman being hit, shaken, sworn at, dragged and not given the correct dose of medication. Are these people sadists or something? Is there something... Am I missing the point here? Sandra Lund is another one. A carer from... Long, or quite clearly not a carer. She was found guilty of assault... And all she's got is 150 hours of unpaid work and £860 court costs. You know, I'm glad all their pictures are in the paper today because they're filth. They're people who abuse the elderly. They're put in a, in a position of trust. There's one here from Hounslow in West London, jailed for stealing more than £170,000 from a 95-year-old woman she was caring for. This is Nazneen Chatton, who was jailed. She obtained powers of attorney, convicted of three counts of theft, totaling £171,000. I hope you rot in prison, you filth person. Julia Sales, Lorna Clark, they're all here. Shauna Higgin, Darren Smith. Only a couple of blokes on this list. The other one being Lewis Moore, who was given a 50-week suspended jail sentence because he carried one woman suffering from Parkinson's and dementia against her will up two flights of stairs before throwing her onto the bed. When these people, it's just, it's disgusting, isn't it? I'm glad they're highlighted in the paper today. Make a mental note of them, because you might bump into them at some point. 
Uh, the hospital nurse's generous offer will work overtime to care for Charlie. Uh, the judge says he must spend his last hours at a hospice, so the family are now looking. They had um, a thing that they put out on the internet of what they're looking for. They want people to go and help them in the hospice in his final hours. They will then decide, well, it will be decided, I think, before he goes into hospice, when they're going to turn off the machines. But the, the hospital nurses have made a very generous offer. They've been looking after him all this time, remember. They haven't just left him. He's not just lying there. This is, this is 24-hour care this young man is getting. Uh, and the judge says he's going to spend his last hours at the hospice because uh, he can't spend the time at home. They're not, they're not equipped for it. And, uh, of course, then uh, the mother storms out of court. He's in intensive care. Um, I thought earlier on it would be better for him to stay where he is so you don't, you know, just let him carry on sleeping and then he, he just carries on sleeping and then he goes to join the angels. You know, to start upheaving and moving because presumably you've got to take him out on a bed with the ventilators and all the other things. It must be, it's going to be quite something. And then they've got to find people by today, by 12 o'clock today, who can work for him in his last hours at the hospice. I mean, do they have to vet these people? I mean, how are they going to find out who these people are? Are they going to be, you know, are they coming from an agency? They're presumably looking for people to work for free. And we don't know how long he survives afterwards. That's what we don't know. I mean, the, the case has been grim from start to finish, hasn't it? There's no, there's no happy ending in sight. And uh, we'll just have to wait and see what they come back with by 12 o'clock today. News at six approaches in a matter of uh, minutes. Uh, the decision day for Charlie Gard and his family. They've only got till 12 o'clock. Uh, the fury as bosses warn of a tide of claims as the Supreme Court makes it easier to go to an employment tribunal. The girl of 17 who planned a grenade and gun attack on Britain. The 100,000 drivers in the United Kingdom made 90 and over and one of them who is 103. The palace who lied about the prince's funeral walk, says Di's brother. And the boys have said exactly the same. They didn't want to walk behind their mother's coffin. And four years on, the seller convicted in the horsemeat scandal. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Five past six, Thursday, 27th of July. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast with you until seven o'clock this morning. Then Nick Ferrari uh, will be along. Uh, Steve, um... Old wives' tales. My mother told me you should never accept a bunch of red and white flowers, especially when ill, because it meant death, says Jeanette. Actually, I was told that if you're ill, you're not supposed to have flowers anyway. Don't they, wasn't that that old apocryphal story that if you took flowers into somebody in hospital at, the, at night time, they took them all out again because the flowers apparently used to drink the oxygen in the air? You have patients gasping all over the place. Whether it was true or not, I, was, I never quite discovered because I was, never knew anybody who was in hospital long enough to actually warrant getting flowers. Uh, I had some steak yesterday in the meal deal. Uh, dinner for two. The steak was called ranch steak. I've never heard of ranch steak, says Paul. No, I haven't either. It's probably a... a, a I don't know. I don't know what it could be, actually. could be anything, I suppose. I only... I, I just go for either sirloin or I go for fillet steak. And, and I, I seem to be quite happy with that. But at the moment, I'm doing salmon. So um, I'm getting a bit sort of into the salmon. Because somebody said to me, and I can't it might have been Victoria Beckham, well, she said it to anybody, that she's been told to eat salmon every single day because it's so good for you. Whether or not salmon and sprouts is good for you every day, I don't know. But I think I'm eating part of my five a day and uh, sort of getting there slowly. Uh, my mum and stepdad have dementia. Uh, we're struggling to look after them. I'm so happy we've not had to put them in a home. Uh, anyone doing horrible things should get a bit more than a fine. Well, there's a story that you're not going to like at all on the front of the Times this morning. And this is helpless residents at risk from offenders. 
the care home rape cover-up. This is not pleasant reading. And if you're of a nervous disposition, um, I suggest that you maybe don't listen to this. This is a suspected rape of a helpless autistic man by a high-risk sex offender was kept secret by the official body responsible for his safety. The incident was among a cluster of sex alert uh, alerts at residential homes owned by a private company that specialised in the care of young adults with learning disabilities. All were kept hidden from the public, from the Care Quality Commission, which regulates England's 6,000 care homes and claims to be committed to openness and transparency. The case raises serious doubts about its stated mission to hold providers to account. The Times had seen confidential police documents and agency reports linked to the suspected rape and other incidents at three homes run by Hillgreen Care. They reveal the deputy manager of one home was a convicted sex offender working in Britain illegally. Concerns were raised at other homes over sexual grooming of residents and staff having sex while on duty. Care workers initially told not to inform police of the suspected rape Potential DNA evidence linked to the incident was destroyed, and more than 20 months after the alleged attack, no charges have been brought against Hillgreen by the CQC, despite new criminal powers under which it can prosecute companies. Steve Bryan, the health minister, described the case as deeply disturbing. Publicly, the commission has given no hint it even knew of the incident. It inspected the home in Enfield, North London, less than two weeks after it was told, but the report it published in January described a place where residents felt safe with caring staff who understood abuse and knew how to report any concerns. At the centre of the most serious incident was a 28-year-old resident whose placement was funded by the neighbouring Hackney Authority. The Times are not able to name him because it's been threatened with an injunction by the council. Uh, this person had previously been charged with raping a vulnerable adult and sexually assaulting a 14-year-old girl. He's now serving a suspended prison sentence for the latter. Senior Hillgreen staff knew that there was a high risk of him re-offending and that other residents should be protected. However, he was not kept under supervision. And in November, a care worker found him in the bedroom of a severely autistic 23-year-old. I mean, this is absolutely appalling. This is absolutely dreadful, especially when you go somewhere. And, and the worst thing is that they, they examined this particular home less than sort of two weeks after these uh, alleged charges, and they found it to be absolutely fine. Something's wrong somewhere, isn't it? Something's falling apart here. And, and, uh, and, I, and I suspect it's because these things get... If there are 6,000 care homes, 6,000 care homes in this country, I mean, they can't all be perfect, can they? I wouldn't have thought so. 84850, steve at uh, The electric buses you refer to, Steve, are in fact generators. When the batteries which drive the motors are fully charged, the engines switch off, they restart themselves automatically. The driver doesn't have to do anything. Oh, right. And uh, Dave says, is it true James O'Brien's having cameras in the studio today for Naked Hour? Well, there was a bit of a dis disagreement over this. And in fact, uh, you know, lots of things were called in because it, it wasn't just going to be him. It was going to be the whole team. And uh, I think basically we all had a bit of a, you know, bit of a whip round to find, you know, clothes for them. Because I think we all decided we didn't actually want to see the team naked at all on the pro. There was only a couple of people in the company who did want to see that, but uh, I wasn't one of them. But uh, he will be having that, uh, that hour today where you can ask questions about just about everything. Perhaps you should ask him about the Radio Times thing. How is it that we both got exactly the same results against exactly the same person? How does that work out? Uh, you may care to ask him today about belly dancing for women in prison. 
I don't quite see that. I know people say it's very good for you, isn't it? Um, they say it hopefully encourages, to, encourages people to stay in shape. These are criminals in prison. Uh, why would you worry about them staying in shape? I don't quite know why. Uh, also, why there's a little bit of alien in all of us earthlings. I quite like the idea that, that that might be true. Every one of us contains alien atoms originating in another galaxy. Scientists discovered that up to half the matter making up the Milky Way, which encompasses our solar system, came from other clusters of stars. It's interesting that all these people throughout the world all doing this, this kind of thing, and they're all sort of, you know, doing it and, and sort of saying, oh, by the way, there's a little bit of alien in us because it's a little bit in the Milky Way. And you think, wow. How cool is that? Comes back to that thing, doesn't it? Is there life in the rest of the universe? And we've had it from, you know, the top people. No, there isn't. There won't be. A, there might be a water droplet, but there's not life as we know it. There's no little green men. There's no people sitting there in spaceships going, let's go down to Earth in their own language. You know, they wouldn't be speaking sort of like that at all. Otherwise, that would be silly, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> is there life on Mars? No, is the answer to that. There is no life anywhere else, mainly because it, it's just not physically possible uh, for there to be it. But it's a nice story. Don't get me wrong, I'm all in favour of a good story to actually sort of pretend that there might be things... I you know, whether there's... Uh, that people, for some reason, used to think that they were all... They weren't human life forms. They were sort of animal life forms. Lizards and, and such like. And you sort of think, you know, you can get it into real... And you, I, I guarantee, I shall get this morning, there'll be a couple of people writing and going, I think if you read this uh, Professor Chuckabutty uh, and his article there based in 1937, that there is, in fact, proof of life in Mars. The government did, in fact, capture an alien creature which came in on a spaceship. And then, of course, there was Roswell, which you completely dissed on your programme. And as such, I'm going to write to the intergalactic space mission people to make sure that you're zapped off out of this country as quickly as possible. You know, those are the sort of people that you're dealing with. And they firmly believe it. That's what's worrying. And they vote. I think the, the thing that they vote is even more worrying than anything else. But they do actually believe it. They do actually believe it. I think because they want to, don't they? Like when we were kids, we used to read the Dan Dare comics and stuff. But I never believed that there was going to be space travel and we'd all be going around on monorails. You know, because that's what they said, didn't they? Oh, as, as we move in, there's going to be monorails and people will be on hoverboards. And, and I think, no, we're not. Can't do it. So there's power cables everywhere. Uh, more on uh, Diana and her brother, Earl Spencer, has revealed there have been four attempts to break into her grave. I mean, uh, words fail me. Words fail me. They say, but she's still safe there. I'm assuming that the, uh, that the grave is filled in with concrete because of the, of the fact, the real danger, that there might be people who are sick enough to want to try and break into her grave. I don't know... I, I can't quite see it myself. I don't quite get there. But uh, she is perfectly safe. And that's why she's there. That's why she's there at the family home. They didn't want to put her in the local church where the rest of the family are because they couldn't keep an eye on her, as it were. And he wanted to make sure that she's still safe. So that's, that's where she is. She's safe there and she'll be there for generations to come. But he did read the speech to Diana's body in the Chapel Royal a couple of days before she was buried. And uh, there were lots of little digs at the royal family, you know, your blood family and all this kind of thing. I think basically saying there's a new book that's coming out as well today by a former courtier for the royal family saying that they did treat her badly. That uh, she wasn't looked after as she should have been. I think because they don't do the looking after bit. The royal family have always been a little bit, you know, you have to kind of make your own way in life. That's why nobody knew that Harry had had any sort of uh, help 
through all the trauma of walking behind his mother's coffin at the age of 12 with people wailing and crying and shouting out their mother's name as the cortege moved past them. I mean, traumatic for anybody. It doesn't matter what. If it was traumatic for Earl Spencer, imagine what it must have been like for the boys. Must have been even worse. But they don't do that kind of thing. They don't do the let's all help each other out. I think the only time it, it sort of worked, I think, is when Prince Philip, as they went under the arch, uh, having gone through Horse Guards Parade, Philip put his arm on, on Harry's shoulder as if to say, not much further. It's only a half an hour walk because they all picked it up, didn't they, from outside Buckingham Palace. So her body had come on the on the gun carriage to Buckingham Palace and then they all got in behind and then off they set on this half an hour walk. Worst half an hour, Earl Spencer says, in his entire life. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Chris sent me a picture, a very nice picture, actually, of his hanging baskets. Been in flower for three months. Actually, it's not bad at all. That's not a, it, it depends whether it's um, a made one or whether it's... Actually, it might be a made one, might it? That's not bad. The ones round our way that the council put up are actually really nice. I've got to find out where they came from because they've had some, some really good results, whereas this year, I think Paul and I would have to agree that they're not as good as they've been in previous years. Even my next-door neighbour said they're not as good as they have been. I mean, they're OK, but I'm down to three now. We lost, we lost three, and uh, so we're down to three. I think we might lose another two today. <laughs> might just have one left. A little bit sad, isn't it, really? Do you know, it's not that long, and, and you can probably count the years back yourself, when the only way to keep in touch with family and friends was postcards. You know, you'd send the postcard, wouldn't you? They'd always say, oh, send us a postcard for me holiday. Well, people don't bother doing postcards now. I mean, the postcard market must be, must be infinitesimally small, because now... People take a picture on Snapchat or whatever it happens to be, and then they send it to somebody. This is us on holiday. I get that all the time. Friends of mine go away on holiday, and they send me a picture, or they FaceTime me, and that's how it works. It used to be pay phones. Pay phones, and you'd stand there and you'd think, God, it's so expensive. Uh, and nowadays, you don't do that. You just send texts and emails, and that's the best way to do it. I mean, I am quite nostalgic for postcards, because it was quite nice, but nobody never knew what to write on them. There was never enough room. You know, if you went to Blackpool, you can guarantee that one of the pictures would be of two donkeys, or maybe three on the front of the photograph, all wearing hats with their ears pulled through and daisy chain flowers around them. That would be fairly popular. In London, the uh, the popular postcards would be of Big Ben, Trafalgar, all taken donkeys years ago. I mean, taken practically back in the 1950s. You know, they're really good. And also, a punk on the King's Road. Excuse me? A punk on the King's Road? Since when has that happened? It's not been around for about 20 years, has it? You just get normal people walking up and down the King's Road. We haven't had a, a sort of a punk walking up and down there unless they're lost or they're on some sort of medication. But all the photographs that you've got of London are donkeys years old. You know, a policeman, I should imagine, he's been dead and buried for years. And it's always a policeman. He's standing there and he's pointing up the road, giving directions to some small child. You know, that's it, up there. That's where you'll find Buckingham Palace. So I'm, I'm a little bit... A little bit nostalgic for, for postcards, but I'm, I'm not really expecting them to come back anytime soon, even though they sell them everywhere. And now you get, like, ten for a pound. Perhaps we should use them for birthday cards. A friend of mine always used to be a little bit naughty. Sorry about this, because uh, this is naughty. He used to send a postcard, because his, his mum would always say, can you send a postcard when you actually get there? And so he'd, uh, he'd say, yeah, yeah. So he'd send a postcard, arrive safely, wouldn't put a stamp on it, when he got to the other end, the postman would knock at the door and say, there's money to pay. And she'd go, for, for what? Let's have a look. 
I don't want it. Uh, she'd already read the message and just gave it back again. So the post office was stuck with all these stupid postcards everywhere. Because you do get that, don't you? Sometimes you get people who don't understand how the, how the post office works. I mean, I don't know what a stamp gets you nowadays, first class or otherwise. I've got no idea. You, I could stand here if a million pounds rested on it. I couldn't tell you. I know that if I send anything in a little jiffy bag, I always put two first class stamps on. Because I don't know if one is enough. And I don't want to make, you know, I want to make sure that the person on the other end doesn't, in fact, have to, have to pay for anything. Because that, that's the worst thing, isn't it? You send it and they go, 27p to pay or something like that. And a first-class stamp, how much does it cost? I have no idea. And i tell you for why. Because I go to Costco and I buy a book of 12 stamps and I don't know what they cost. I just buy the stamps. It doesn't have a price on it. It just says first. So a first-class stamp is 60 pence. 65. 65 pence. Good God, is it really? 56 pence for a second-class stamp. Wow. You see, I always go in there and I buy maybe sort of four or five books. But I always put more stamps on than I need to because I just think it's necessary. 65. Is it really? 65 pence. Good God. Woo! Seems quite pricey, doesn't it? Seems quite pricey. I was very good the other day. I paid my tax. I just want to say that in case Joe Swash isn't listening at the moment. You know, one of those little things that people do, you know, when they've earned the money, you have to pay the tax at the end of it. If you Joe Swash, you know, just declare yourself bankrupt and go, well, to hell with it, can't be bothered. It's happened with Kerry Katona, a few other people. They just don't care now. They don't care. One person wrote a book about it. One person wrote, wrote a book about, you know, sort of going bankrupt and how it's not the, uh, the sin that it used to be. So you can get yourself into a lot of financial debt and then just go, oh, I'll go bankrupt. It's easier that way. Because it doesn't seem to have the stigma that it did before. But, uh, I like to keep on top of things. I like to be honest and I like to pay. But there'd be loads of people listening going, oh, God, it's tax, is it? I think so, yes, because we're up to the 27th. So it's got to be in by the end of this month. You should have had the piece of paper saying this is how much you've got to pay. Because I, I get it from my accountant. He goes, this is how much you're paying, Steve. And, and then, you, then he submits that to the tax office. Then the tax office write to me and say, this is how much you're paying. And then we do it all online. Whereas years ago, you'd write a cheque out and pop it in the envelope with the thing. You don't have to do that now. Everything is done online. In fact, I'm not even sure you can write. Has anybody got a chequebook anymore? Does anybody have chequebooks? Does anybody write them out? What do you write a cheque out for? I've got no idea. If I'm having the car serviced, uh, it goes on a card. And if everything else is just done automatically, I phone up the bank. I say, this is how much we need to pay to whoever it happens to be. And they then they then sort of arrange the uh, the transfer and then it's done and it's done instantly. You know, what's the sort code? It's always written on there, even the tax sort code, bank account number. It's like whenever I have to pay maintenance charges on my place. They say, this is the block number. You've got your first initial of your name and you send off and it's done. It's done instantly. Of course, if you haven't got the money there, it's a slight problem. But I always I like to make sure that I'm a bit I'm a bit ahead of things because I've been in that situation like loads of other people. There's very few people can actually get through, you know, the whole of their life without getting into some sort of financial difficulty. And the amount of people I bump into now say exactly the same to me. Oh, thank God we just got paid. Thank God we've just got paid. They'll say I just got to the end of the month and I was just scraping through. Bumped into a friend of mine the other day via another friend. And uh, he needed to borrow money from his brother so he could come into work to earn some money to get back home again. That was a bit desperate, wasn't it? Anyway, um, we must mention little Leanne Payne. It's very sweet uh, because Cheryl, I don't know what surname she's using at the moment, it could be anything really, uh, has broken her social media silence to publicly support her boyfriend, Leanne Payne, on his new haircut. It's so childish. Anyway, uh, the singer and X-Factor judge has kept out of the spotlight... Uh, since she and the One Direction are welcomed bizarrely monikered son Bear into the world, the 34-year-old posted a message on her partner's Instagram page 
uh, when he shared a snap of his new Sean Locks, which he imaginatively captioned, Fresh Cuts. Uh, understandably unable to contain herself and seemingly unable to tell him in person, Cheryl stepped out of her self-imposed Instagram exile to write, Love It, which she coupled with a heart-shaped emoji under the 23-year-old's photo. The glamorous pair were recently pictured together for the first time since November last year when they showed off Cheryl's baby bump. It's marvellous, isn't it? So I'm going into exile. Love your haircut. Why don't you just tell him, dear? Why do you have to share that with people? Nobody gives a forex about whether little Liam, 22, but really, you know, maybe not, uh, has a haircut. It's ridiculous, isn't it? But as I say, they're, they're living this bizarre dream, very bizarre dream. I can't quite work out, you know, exactly what sort of life form they are and where they're living it. So they've said she was the former X Factor judge uh, and then the papers were putting out the rumour she's going back to the X Factor and I'm going, please God, no. She doesn't know anything about music. Why would you put her back on the X Factor? You know, it's for people who are experts in the business. Not somebody who was from an assembled group years ago which had, you know, one, one drunk, one person who didn't want to talk to the other ones. One, you know, they all, had, they all had issues. Everybody's got issues nowadays. That's why they get stories in the papers. So you're going to have to suffer very shortly, whether you want it or not, with Sarah Harding going into the Big Brother house. But there won't be any John Leslie. Probably couldn't trust himself, I shouldn't imagine. And you won't get uh, Alves. I can't remember his first name. The, the one who has a... Rodrigo Alves, who has all the surgery to make himself look like a very bad male drag queen. But he thinks he looks like Ken from Ken and Barbie. Unfortunately not. Uh, the last Lady Blue Eyes... Uh, Frank Sinatra's family never accepted uh, Barbara Sinatra at all. She died at the age of 90 this week. Frank Sinatra had a talent. I can't tell you what it is. It's way too rude. It's the sort of thing that Lucy Beresford would have to tell you about on, on her programme. But he was put his way. He could have, you remember the person who used to go out with Joan Collins years ago called Bungalow Bill Wiggins? And the reason he was called Bungalow Bill is because there wasn't much upstairs. It was all downstairs. And I think Frank Sinatra was in exactly the same situation because he uh, he had a lot of um, a lot of um, lot of very uh, very friendly ladies. Ava Gardner, of course, he was with, and uh, loads of other people. Loads of other people. There used to be somebody in London who used to come and visit, but I can't for the life of me remember. I just remember she used to live near near Harrods. Uh, also, the statins for all NHS kidney patients. And three facing jail over selling horse meat to shops as beef. Because I wouldn't know the difference. And I doubt you could taste the difference because they were just mixing it up. So you put it all together, mix it all up, and then it comes out as something else. And people go, OK, fine. But we were obviously eating it for ages. I mean, as far as I know, nobody died of it. They eat it in France. It's just that over here, it's a way of cheapening meat. You can, you can get meat to go a lot further, a lot further. Quit your job, turned off the phone. You're a 21st century hero. And I'll tell you more about that the other side of the news when we go through the front pages of the papers. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Nice to have you company. It's Thursday, the 27th of July. And if the weather forecast is to be believed, and I don't really know when it is to be believed, this is the day the weather turns. And we go into wet, miserable, depressing... It was almost autumnal the other day. I always thought it was autumnal. I was sort of standing there looking at the grey skies, thinking, oh, don't rain. And then it rained, but not, not very much at all. Nick Ferrari with you, with a ray of sunshine, I hope, this morning at breakfast, but I fear not to be, because the parents of Charlie Gard have made an emotional appeal to anyone who can help with their boys' end-of-life care after further talks. Nick will try and find out which decision is likely to be taken. They've said, haven't they, that they want a decision by 12 o'clock today, if not the hospital take over. What I thought was going to be happening, and I obviously got this completely wrong, I thought that if Charlie was taken to a hospice, that the 
that the nurses who'd been looking after him in Great Ormond Street would go with him. But, of course, they don't. He's being taken to a hospice. Uh, and the hospice obviously don't have the facilities to do something like this. You know, they, they deal with a lot of people uh, who maybe have terminal illnesses. A lot of people just go there for a rest. You know, in the case of, uh, of Charlie Gard, he's going in and he will die in there. But they've got to find people who can help them with this. And I don't really know how much equipment. Is the equipment from Great Auburn Street, or does the hospice have equipment? There's so many complicated questions that go with this. Does the hospice have the equipment to deal with a child like this who is on a life support? Does he travel with life support? That's why I said before I thought it was so much kinder to leave him where he is, where he's comfortable, where he's peaceful, and where you've got a whole hospital behind him. They're looking after ill children all the time, but they're very much dedicated to helping, you know, whereas I don't know how many times this particular hospice has looked after a child like this, who's not even a year old, who's actually not expected to maybe see the weekend. But they've got until 12 o'clock today. And presumably they're going to have to... If people come forward and say, well, I can come down and help... uh, then they're going to have to vet these people. You can't just have anybody wandering in there, you know, and people sort of pretending to be something that maybe they're not, which has happened before. So they've got to be very careful, and they they just seem to have put it out on the internet, if anybody can help, trusting in the fact that, you know, people are going to be totally honest. Plus, Donald Trump has tweeted that he's introducing a new policy which rejects transgender people from the US Armed Forces. Nick will speak to an American veteran who agrees with his president, who believes the army is not the place for what he calls social experiments, as as well as the head of trans inclusion for the charity Stonewall, who take, as you can well imagine, a rather different view. That's all with Nick Ferrari at breakfast this morning from 7 here on LBC. I don't know why, as our armies are not bothered about having transgender people, why should they? Why should they worry about it? I don't know why Donald Trump has already stuck six pennies in, having basically lied, having said that he's going to look after lesbian, gay, transgender people. Quite clearly, not if it interferes with his plans for world domination and to have... I mean, really, perhaps they should be checking whether they're all heterosexual. You know, because if they're getting rid of tra- transgender people, perhaps gay people should be out as well at the same time. They might as well do a whole sort of math cleansing at the same time. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Why try? I mean, I, this this one man whom Nick will be speaking to this morning says the army's not the place for what he calls a social experiment. Dear God in heaven, that's what you think it is—a social experiment. You must be some old dinosaur, mustn't you? Actually, talking of old dinosaurs, there was a program on the telly last night, uh, which is called Against the Law. It was part of uh, Gay Britannia season, and it was very interesting to see. This is a, a true story about um, about a journalist called uh, Peter Wildblood. Took us back to the 1950s. Peter met an airman called Eddie McNally. Began a love affair. The love affair involved letters which were used in court against him. And he was found uh, on trial with two other men, Lord Montague and Michael Pitt Rivers. And both up for homosexual offences. Peter ended up in prison, but somewhat to the surprise of the prosecution, the public turned out to be very firmly on his side. This... Uh, really ended in gay rights as they exist now and the legalisation of homosexuality in 1967. It seems odd, doesn't it, in these days of gay marriages and transgender and everything else, that this programme uh, was very good at evoking a Britain of smoky pubs and dark secrets, a world in which the excellent Daniel Mays as wild blood asserted calmly, I'm a homosexual. There used to be all sorts of things. There were certain pubs in London which, you know, people were known to frequent if you wore a certain outfit. You know, it used to be earrings. I was talking to somebody the other day about earrings and how if you wore an earring in whichever side of the ear it was supposed to be, it signified you were gay. And if you wore it in the other ear, it signified that you were straight. 
And then people confused the issue by having an earring in both ears and then having piercings and everything else. But it was a very interesting programme. You know, the, the, the world has changed. Heavens above, we've even got gay MPs, ladies. I know. Shocking state of affairs. It really is. You know, gay people in the House of Commons. Possibly gay speakers of the House of Commons over the years. Possibly... You know, former prime ministers who might have dabbled. We don't know. It's just, it's a, it's a whole new changing world. And believe you me, it has changed even in my lifetime. Even in my lifetime. Because you can well imagine, having been around for quite a few years, it has changed quite considerably. Uh, Tom says, I'm very curious uh, why you continue to call uh, Liam Payne when the name is uh, very popular, pronounced Liam. Well, I'll do it the way I want, Tom. Mind your own business. Mind your own business. I might call you Toem in future. In fact, actually, I might not bother talking to you at all. Ava Gardner, who lived near Harrods, thank you. I couldn't remember who she was. Some of her dresses are in the Balenciaga exhibition at the V&A. She was glam. She was very, very glam. Apparently, Lord Alan Sugar has a checkbook and pays his taxes, says uh, Liam. It's another Liam. We're getting all sorts of Liams on the programme this morning, which I quite like, actually. And uh, the reason you're supposed to complete the antibiotic course is because you have to make sure the infection has gone. Otherwise, it could return any more resistant. Well, what they're saying is now, Michael... Uh, you don't have to take the course. So uh, there you go. Tradesmen like me take cheque payments because they're free to pay into a business account. I have a card reader, but the bank charges me 2.7%, says uh, Craig. Or is that Craig? I never know. Uh, life could exist, says Sean, in other galaxies. Maybe not little green alien men, we imagine, but maybe microscopic creatures of some sort. We just don't know. No, there's nothing there, Sean. I've been up there. I've had a look. I've had a look. I'm telling you, there's nothing there. Uh, Les says, absolutely, there is other life somewhere else. No, there isn't. No, no, there isn't. I've been up there. I've seen it. I'm telling you, I've got footage, cine film. I've got photographs. There's nothing. I've been on planets. I've stood there. I've shouted, hello, hello. Nothing. Comes back as an echo. So uh, I think you find I'm right on that one again. I can't bear it. Maybe we'll argue. And it's, it's so straightforward. Really so straightforward. I'm sure if I had a word with Liam Payne, you know, he'd be sort of saying exactly the same thing. Or Brian Cox. Brianne Cox. Actually, it was Brianne Cox who said to me that there is nothing on, on other planets. There might be water molecules or something like that, but there's nothing that you can identify as an insect or anything like that or anything that walks, talks, crawls around or utters something ooh, like that. Nothing like that. Mainly they're down here voting. That's the sort of people we have. OK, 20 to 7 front pages of the papers. The Mail has got this escape from the Inferno on the Riviera. The holiday from hell. Well, it, it would be if you were in the middle of it, but these people are on the beach. It's amazing. I mean, it just looks like Charing Cross Road to me, just with mountains in the distance and fires breaking out. Furious bosses warning of a tide of claims, front page of the Mail, as the Supreme Court makes it much easier to go to an employment tribunal. Queue here, they say, for the gravy train. The Express. Tourist terror as fires sweep Europe. It's because of the heat. Not going to happen over here, is it? I'm looking out the window. It looks murky today. A little bit murky. Uh, Britain ready to quit EU exit talks and horror as thieves target Diana's grave. Don't make such a big you know, deal about it. They've had four... I mean, how do they know these things? I've got no idea. Why would somebody want to... What, what do they do? Go armed with pickaxes or something to go and break into her grave? To do what? I mean, I can't think of anything more sick. That's somebody who's quite clearly got some, some mental illness or something. The Guardian, clean air plan condemned as weak and inadequate. Uh, this is after the petrol car car ban and they've said you know in 20 what do they say 2040 as i say most of you won't need to worry about that it'll be happening you know another lifetime we'll be sitting on clouds with wings on going so glad we're not down there because nobody will be able to afford these electric cars they're very expensive now they're if they were cheap people would buy them but they won't and you're still going to have petrol cars what are you going to do take them to the dump and dump your old petrol cars no 
No, of course not. It's ridiculous. Uh, so that's clean air plan that's discussed there. Antibiotics rule could be wrong. And also holidaymakers on a beach in south-eastern France as the wildfire rages behind them. Luckily, it's far enough back, and they're by the water, so they're not going to set fire to water, are they? I don't think so. Front of the Times is that dreadful story about the care home rape cover-up, and that one will be investigated, I hope. Diesel cars to be hit with higher taxes. God, you poor diesel car owners. You know, it's, it's very embarrassing, isn't it, really? Having been told by the government, you know, you should buy a diesel car and you were encouraged to do it and now all of a sudden, no, you shouldn't have a diesel car and we're going to hit you with more, more taxes. You can't win, can you? You can't win. I'm, I'm sort of... I'm sort of I have had diesel cars uh, for here. We had them here. But never actually would I want one. They're a bit noisier. And I just... And at one time it was, it was cheaper. It was much, much cheaper. And, uh, and now it's not. Now it's so expensive. It's, it's very expensive just to put petrol in. Uh, finishing the antibiotics could harm you, doctors say. This is Times this morning. And uh, when reality TV goes wrong, I quite like that idea. I think it's going wrong. I think it's going to get really, really bad. You know, they had that case in America. You might not remember it some years ago. They had um, a show on television. And the, uh, the show uh, would bring people to the studio. And it turns out we have, we have a secret about you. And this particular secret they they had a bloke there and uh and they said we've uh we've, we, we know something about you blah 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 you have a secret admirer and the secret admirer in this particular case was another bloke and this bloke on the television was a red-blooded american and he didn't take too kindly to being embarrassed on television by being fancied by what he thought was a, a friend of his uh, who embarrassed him on television so much so that he shot him Within a week and he died. And ever since then, they decided maybe not a good idea in America to start saying, you know, you have a secret admirer because it was generally people or failing that they had the other thing, which I never understood why they, how they didn't work it out. They go, this is your uh, boyfriend. Uh, sorry, you're a girl. This is your boyfriend. And what you didn't know is, in fact, he's a girl. And you think, how can you not know that? How can you not know that? I mean, let's face it, it was patently obvious to everybody else. Or a role reversal. You know, this is uh, you are a boy. Yeah, yeah, red-blooded, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they bring on this girl, who quite clearly looked like bad drag. And then they go, actually, I have a surprise to tell you, I'm a boy. And they go, whoa! It's like the Big Brother house. Whenever they actually do an eviction, which they did the other day, these people, there's one screamer in there, who just go, no, no, no! What are you doing? And they, they, they get so excited. And you think, have you ever been in the real world? Is there something the matter with you? Have you been vetted before you went into this programme? So they have to sort of do it, don't they? And then they all put their hands on and kiss me and say, I shall always love you. I shall... And you think, oh dear, I'd be calling the police, actually. These people are a little bit scary and a bit needy. You don't want them knocking on your door late at night. Hello? Hello? I was in Big Brother with you. Go away. Go away. It was a television programme. It's only a joke. I didn't like you at all. You're a horrible person. But I love you. Go away. That's what you have to do to them, don't you? You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Interesting, isn't it? Once you get a tag, I've discovered, on a television programme, uh, they, they sort of hang on to it, don't they? There used to be Judge James Pickles, years and years ago, who popped up on any programme that would have him. And uh, as opposed to just being James Pickles, he had to have the word judge put in front of it, although he'd not been on the bench for ages and ages. And now you've got Chris Hakabusi, who pops up on Sky regularly, reading a paper, and they, they, they put him down as life coach. up to now. now they've changed it. He's now an Olympian. But in fact, that was so many years ago, the Olympics were where people were wearing little white skirts and pom-poms on their shoes and holding flaming torches. So he's now an Olympian. 
Mind you, Lucy Berryford's on this. That'll frighten the life out of him. He'll wait till she started analysing him. Uh, one giant step for designer babies. Apparently, scientists have proved they can safely alter human embryos. Inherited disease caused by defective genes can be corrected in the earliest stages of life. And uh, this is on the eye. It's uh, a world exclusive on the front page. Amazing what they can do, isn't it? And here we are, you know, discussing about a child whose life is probably going to end today uh, or at the weekend. Uh, the Daily Star, giant spider terrifies family at home. It is, I mean, I'm hoping it's real, unless it's sort of, it's not real and it's some sort of joke. You do get things like that, don't you? Uh, the new Love Island, it's another bunch of uh, of hopeless old has-beens. Uh, who all look, they work at... What do they do? Do they go round to gymnasiums and try and find people who've got gym bodies? Because most blokes don't look like this. They're all, they're all like us. Look like us when you go out to the pub and everything else. I don't see people who look like this any time at all. Uh, the First Lord could be uh, bisexual or lesbian. They're not particularly bothered. OK. Uh, also, uh, Marcel Somerville wants a shock break from Gabby so he can go on a solo tour of Britain. Sorry, dear, you don't have a career. Let's not be silly about it. And uh, and also, you know, by the time you come back from your solo tour of the beach huts of Western Supermare, there's not going to be much going on for you at all. Uh, also, Poface Posh is glummy mummy. They all look miserable, don't they? But they've had to have a picture of the whole family out together so that they can pretend that, you know, they really are a close family. It's just that that's the close family. And then there's Victoria Beckham. She kind of sort of sort of on the outside of all of these things. ITV, very well done. Uh, they're not going to reveal how much people earn. But we know roughly, don't we? We know what Anton Decker and people like that. But I'm not bothered. I keep telling people I'm not bothered. I spend enough time talking about it because I'm not bothered about it. I just think it's it's not necessary to know what, what somebody earns. Does that change your opinion of somebody if you think they earn an awful lot of money? Ten to seven, the sun on the front page, Chem's China Crisis. It's another person you've never heard of. If you've never seen, and there was only 2.4 million of you, that uh, ever tuned in to Love Island, the 65, 66 million of us in this country, and uh, only 2.4 million. More people tuned in to the Diana Boys because they were far more entertaining, and at least they were, they were articulate. Unfortunately, in Love Island, they were neither articulate nor interesting. They were just sort of rather sad people uh, who don't really appear to have jobs. No, I didn't hear anybody talking about what job they had, presumably because they went on there to try and find a job. The girl who's just about to be kicked off, I think, Big Brother, she's unemployed. I can't work out why these people are unemployed. Is it because they're useless or they can't find a job? I think just take away benefits. Because the moment they go on television, they start earning any money. I think, you know, you have to sort of start sorting it out. Earl Spencer speaking out uh, after 20 years. He claimed AIDS lied to him about William and Harry wanting to walk behind their mum's coffin. They've already said they didn't. They've already said they didn't. And uh, Earl Spencer said he didn't want to, but they said, well, it's the boy's wishes. And uh, so they do that. Also, ghouls tried to rob my sister's grave four times, but they won't get, uh, won't get anywhere near it. But they were escorted off the property. I think these people should have been photographed and handed over to the police. What sort of person goes around and does stuff like that? Uh, the richest uh, model in the country is Cara Delevingne. And she's, uh, she earned £8 million last year. Sorry. She um, and she's done better, actually, than uh, Naomi Campbell and Kate Moss. In fact, you can add Naomi Campbell and Kate Moss together to get eight million. I wonder why. Is that including her film stuff as well? They wanted her to be a Bond girl. Can't imagine why. But never mind. Uh, second is Rosie Huntington Whiteley with six point five million. David Gandy comes in at number four with four million pounds. In fact, he's the only bloke on the list. But he's only famous for dating, I think, one of the Saturdays and uh, modelling pants. 
I don't see him being invited onto programmes to talk about anything. He's just sort of, he's just, you know, a clothes horse. It's what they like in the modelling world. They don't expect them to talk. In fact, you know, when Naomi Campbell talks, it's uh, not as brilliant as it could be. Uh, is it time for diesel car owners to panic, say the Mirror? I think it's time for just about everybody to panic, but as it's not coming in till 2040, let's not worry about it, shall we? Uh, make Safi the most famous girl in the world. This is the family's plea as the youngest victim of the Manchester bomber is laid to rest in a lovely wicker basket or uh, adorned with, with roses. I thought the family were very composed. That, you know, the most difficult thing that you'll ever have to do. Uh, the man who put pet ponies in burgers, fraudster, guilty of claiming horse meat was 100% beef. This is a supplier. Uh, Andronicus Sidereus was rumbled by chips left in products. That's chips as in microchips. He was found guilty of fraud. Uh, the meat was en route to make pies. And so he's pictured here. He's just a crook, isn't he? I mean, that's all he is. He was just trying to make as much money as possible at our expense. And uh, so what he did, he mixed uh, pony, passed it off as, as the real thing. He even used cuts from beloved pets in his shocking scams. But they found ID chips sold by his company Dinos and Sons, traced back to two pet riding ponies from Poland and a valued hunt horse kept in Galway. He was warned he could face jail. Think so too. Throw the old bag in there. Get him in there. The judge granted him bail. He said, but I have to consider a prison sentence. What do you mean you have to consider a prison sentence? Do you not think I will be considering a prison sentence? But uh, they, they admitted their, their part in this fraud. They're the only people, I think, so far prosecuted for any horse meat scandal. So just remember, if it sounds too good to be true, it blooming well is if it comes from them. So he's, he's mixed pony in with beef. I mean, what a sick person. What a sick, per sick person. Uh, also, the woman who weighs 79 stone. I think she is the world's fattest woman. She's working hard. She wants to lose 64 stone and come down to uh, 15. Her name is Iman Ahmad Abdullati. Uh, looked to have started well as she spoke at uh, the hospital in Abu Dhabi. She's only 36. Sister said she was hoping to get below 15 stone and finally rid herself of the, uh, the label. Uh, she's had a, a gastric band fitted in Mumbai, but the medics refuse to continue caring for her because it's it's dangerous, I would have thought. I don't know how you get rid of, you know, that much. So she wants to lose this huge amount to get below 15 stone. She's got to lose 64 stone. But surely if you lose 64 stone, you're going to have a lot of excess flesh, which presumably is going to have to be cut away and then stitched up, almost like, you know, taking out. That, that's quite 79 stone. I've seen a picture of her. I think she's bed-bound. I don't think she goes jogging or anything like that or swimming or anything at all. So how she's going to lose the weight in the bed, I've got no idea. I mean, she really is huge. And that presumably is either down to a, a medical condition um, or she just eats a lot of food. We had a woman in this country, didn't we? They had to remove part of the house to get her out. And then it turned out that her friends were bringing in food and Chinese takeaways and everything else. Because if it's, it's like being, in, being addicted to cigarettes. If you're addicted to food and eating... Well, then, you know, that's that's a problem for you because you just you think you're full, but then you just carry on eating and carrying on eating is is not uh, not the best thing, because then you get so big, you can't get out of bed and you get bed sores and you get all sorts of uh, terrible problems. Um, is it just me or is it sort of Rihanna who just turns up to the opening of a fridge door or something with another outfit on? What do you do, dear? Can you explain to me what you were doing with the French first lady, Brigitte Macron? I mean, is it, if you sort of convince them you're somebody interesting or what? I mean, what is this? I just see pictures of her turning up, as I say, and she's wearing another frock and then that's it. Anybody heard her sing? Not recently. No, me neither. Uh, the parents' deadline to find specialist 
This is uh, nurses uh, volunteering to spend days with him in a hospice before he dies. I don't think he's going to go days. I don't think he's going to go days. He's been kept alive for, for the past God knows how many months. But they've got until noon today to find a paediatric intensive care consultant. Also, I should imagine a paediatric care consultant who's going to be there at the end of Charlie Gard's life and who's going to get targeted by trolls. If the, if the doctors at Great Ormond Street get targeted and the nurses and everybody else, I should imagine the hospice will. And they've got to get him into the hospice, haven't they? I should imagine they're going to be chased by sort of the press every step of the way. But you'll hear it on LBC because they've got to come up with these answers at 12 o'clock today. If they don't have somebody, I don't know what happens then. I'm assuming that Great Ormond Street then uh, can disconnect him from the life support. That's what I'm assuming happens, but I don't know. Because otherwise you go back into court again. I mean, the, the, the judge has made it pa- fairly plain hasn't he, that they've got to come up with a person who can look after him in his last uh, hours, days, or whatever it happens to be. So if if, if they don't find somebody, that's going to be the problem, isn't it? When, where we go from there, I've got no idea. Keep listening to LBC, you will no doubt find out. Nick Ferrari will be talking about this after the news at 7 o'clock this morning and also about the transgenders in the uh, forces over in America. I wonder if they have the same thing in Australia and places like that. Interesting. I'm sure that they will investigate every aspect of it. Have a great day. It's going to rain, he says. Fingers crossed. Maybe. Hopefully. Who knows? And you can listen to LBC whenever you want, wherever you are. You download the free LBC app for your mobile or tablet, which means you never miss a moment. You go to lbc.co.uk. I'll be back with you tomorrow morning at four. You can follow me on Twitter at Steve Allen Show. Leading Britain's conversation at ten. Magical hour today. Very exciting. I said we're doing card tricks or something. Anyway, it's James O'Brien, but coming up next with breakfast this morning, Nick Ferrari. If you enjoyed this podcast, listen to Steve Allen live from 4am Monday to Friday and Saturday and Sunday from 5am.